Hello, everybody, and welcome to All N. My name is Tales of Sethphonia. And I am Azure Striker Eric. Man, I gotta tell you, Seth, I've been looking forward to this episode so much, specifically today's episode. Oh, man, I know exactly what you mean. I've been dying to talk about this week's amazing Indie World Showcase, and that's just one of the really cool stories in this week's News Roundup. Well, yeah, the Indie World was bonkers good but that actually really wasn't what i was i mean yeah i mean one of the standouts of the show was even shadow dropped and it turned out to be so funny and awesome we're featuring in our own indie showcase once upon a jester man i'm glad we checked that game out yep i listen i adore that game too bontavond did a fantastic job with it but this is an incredibly important week Remember, Seth? Yeah, of course I remember. Good. Now, can we please... I just didn't realize you were that into politics. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I mean, of course, it was a big week. It was election week for us here in the U.S. A lot of important issues were on the line. It was so important that we're commemorating it ourselves with the top five times you made your vote count in Nintendo history. Yes, we, we have an amazing show, like always. But there was a big, important game that I've been waiting until this week... For us to be able to properly celebrate. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, I completely I completely get you. Right. The wait is finally over. We finally have Bayonetta 3 in our hands after five years of waiting. And today, at long last, we'll be able to do our full review that we've been waiting for since we started All In. Seth. What? What's wrong? Today. Today, the episode is going live. It's It's the 15th anniversary of Super Mario Galaxy. It's my it's my favorite game ever. I thought we were going to do a, a retrospective this week. Oh yeah, uh, I, I'm sorry, Eric. I really wanted to. There's just there's no room for it this week, man. The holiday season's getting nuts, and we're struggling to keep up. No, Ma- Mario Mario Galaxy. Ah, cheer up, man. It's going to be okay. I know Mario Galaxy has Rosalina and the Lumas, but Bayonetta 3 has Viola. You have nothing to be upset about. So let's go ahead and get the show started. It's time to go all in. That's right, everybody. We are here and happy to be bringing you another episode of All In, a Nintendo podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where no shells left unturned and no point is left unearned. We are happy to be here live recording the first segments of our show on youtube.com slash Podcast as we do every Friday night at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. And uh, we sit here on Splatfest Eve. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Sam is, uh, is in the chat. Third strongest mole saying Splatfest is live repping team water. And, um, nice. we're, we're definitely, uh, going to have to play a little bit of Splatfest. I'm team grass. So I'll be, I'll be alone team. on team grass. Fire. <laughs> so we're repping between you, Sam and I, we, we have the bases covered. Um, so yeah, Splatfest is live, but that's just really, that's just the tip of the iceberg for the Nintendo stuff going on this week. So, I'm two for two. You should probably be on my team. Just saying. We'll I'm, see. I'm two for two. We'll see how it shakes out, man. We'll see how it shakes out. But um, yeah, so we we got a lot to get into tonight. But before we get to anything, we have to thank the people who make the dream come true, Eric. We have to shout yes. out our lovely patrons. 
over at yes. patreon.com slash all in podcast where the golden banana and triforce tier patrons are shouted out right here at the beginning of each and every episode of this show. So starting with our golden banana tier, the, the golden banana bunch. Uh, <laughs> yes, my, my, my goal, my, my dream is to have people give me $5 a piece each month. That, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. my American dream. There you go. Your American dream on veterans day by the happy veterans day to Eric, oh. by the way, our resident veteran. So there you go. Everybody, happy Veterans Day to Aaron. Uh, to, to Eric in the chat. <laughs> also <Yeah>. to Aaron. <laughs> Why not? So we appreciate our veterans. We love our veterans. Um, yeah. No, 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 no Fs in the chat for respect. F stands for something <laughs> else in the military. <laughs> that is true, actually. So uh, love and respect to our veterans. Um, but... Love and respect also to our patrons. Our Golden Banana tier patrons include Dan Caparello of RetroLogic, Rob Yapel, Third Strongest Mole, who again is in the chat, repping Team Water. Hi, Sam. Shout out to Sam. Uh, Sean, Sean O'Baggins, Ashton, Tim A, a.k.a. Neoprime33, a.k.a. Nintendo Dad number four, Matt, Shy Guy, City Murray, Shy Guy, the two fearless members of the Shy Guy Mod Squad, True Agnew, the handsome host of the House of Mario podcast, and Phelan Ward the host of the Damage Counter podcast, the number one Pokemon TCG podcast in my heart, and the only one that I'm aware of, coincidentally. So <laughs> I'm Was sure that part of his patron name, or would you just, I just no, you just I throw just that in there. I just threw that in there. I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking forward to us getting to the, the the level of having patrons to where their names are just weird little messages that they yeah. want to throw in. That probably will happen <laughs> eventually. Yeah, I mean Tim's Tim's is the closest to that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> we we do appreciate our uh, our golden banana bunch. But we also need to thank our Triforce tiers. We have to thank Josh Vaughn, the Godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday. Of course, we need to thank John Cummins, mm. Datfast himself, the uh, host of Retro Logic as well as On Topic Retro, the Globe Trotting Jet Set and Sparky. We gotta uh, thank Adam Caparello, aka Octorock nineteen eighty two, returning to the Triforce tier, and of course the legend himself, Uncle Randy. Randy. Thank you, Uncle Randy. We love you very much. We love all of you guys that support us on patreon.com slash all in podcast. We, uh, the folks who nothing but love, nothing but love the folks who throw a few bones our way for, for our work. We really, really appreciate Send us it. more money. <laughs> yeah. We, it means more to us than, than we can say it really does. So thank you all so much for supporting us. And we have a few people who actually supported us in a way that, doesn't require throwing bones. They supported us for free by leaving us a couple of five-star reviews on Spotify. Um, yes. this, this past week, we got two new five-star reviews on Spotify. So um, on Spotify, the reviews are anonymous and you also can't leave words, but they are still very, very appreciated um, to the, the people out there listening who left those five-star reviews. We greatly, greatly appreciate that. You guys can leave those on, uh, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser, and on Audible. And if you are are able to leave some words i will shout them out here on the show as well so thank you guys yeah. so so much for that Th yeah thank you guys a lot for that because we have reached the point where we do have a couple people attempting to review bomb us so yeah. those are very appreciated yeah it's it's really nice to have people you know leave leave kind five star reviews to offset a little bit of that so thank you guys very much for that but um sir it's been a busy week what's been going on in your world well here at the top 
Uh, I, you know, far be it from me to start off on a downer, but I feel like if I'm going to talk about this past week in my or our personal lives, there's really only one place to start. And that is here, November 11th, 2022, just a few hours ago, we lost a true icon, a true legend in the entertainment industry, somebody that both Seth and I basically revere. Yeah. Had we been able to get the tax exempt forms, we probably would have set up the church of Kevin Conroy. (laughs) That's true. But absolute legend of the business. We actually did like, we did a side quest on Batman, the animated series, not too long ago because of the 30th anniversary of the show. And uh, I mean, Kevin's just, like he's he's a legend beyond words, and so many other legends within voice acting and even entertainment came out where and you know left some beautiful words. Tara Strong and Clancy Brown and Mark Hamill, of course, and the Empire State Building lit up in, in honor of Kevin Conroy, which was a fantastic gesture. Yeah, uh, but it was just just a real gut punch today, uh, losing someone of that caliber so suddenly 66 is way too soon for for anybody but man that stunk yeah that was that was a rough one man um that that was you know i'm not somebody who normally when a celebrity passes away 99 percent of the time i'm kind of like that's sad you know maybe i was a fan of theirs or whatever but there are few people whose work like truly truly impacted my life in a deep and permanent way. And Kevin Conroy is on that short list. Um, yeah. yeah, his, his performance as Batman means a great, great deal to me. So, um, yeah, I still, I still can't believe it. It still doesn't feel real. So. Yeah. The voice, the definitive version of arguably the greatest superhero of all time. There's not too many, I mean, when you look at the world of superhero fiction, there's not too many greater accolades that I think you can really give somebody than than to say something like that. But it's absolutely true in his case. Kevin Conroy and his Batman truly define the character for not just our generation, but for multiple generations. There are millions of people out there who, and Seth and I are included in this group, who when they read Batman comic books, they read it in Kevin Conroy's voice. So ubiquitous and so legendary was his portrayal of the Dark Knight. Nobody did it better. Nobody's ever done it better. So yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad we could stop and talk about that for a second. Cause that's, that's something that has really, um, really been on my mind and on my heart today quite a bit. So I know it has, but, uh, you know, in, in better news, in lighter news, uh, I had another hurricane this week. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> in lighter it, news, it was, there was a hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. And I I sent you a couple of the the pictures and video of some of it actually did hit us pretty hard over here. I thankfully, when it comes to me personally, I didn't get anything worse than a big crack in the side of my in my passenger side windshield of my car. That was the worst thing that happened to me. And if that's the worst thing, I will absolutely take that, especially considering some of the things that did happen. They had cops out all over the county, you know, directing traffic and trying to keep people off the roads where there were literally fallen traffic signs and wires all over the road, trees all over the road. So we we got hit pretty hard by Nicole this week, you know. But uh, again, thankfully, I didn't see any catastrophic uh, no loss of life 
that I noticed. So that's that's good. The big thing, mm-hmm. obviously. But yeah, a lot of <laughs> a lot of people who are going to be cleaning up a lot of stuff for a lot of while, unfortunately. But uh, again, first and foremost, I didn't think I don't think I saw any loss of life. So I, w- I will definitely take cleaning up the roads over having to, you know, prepare for something right. like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but in actual lighter news, some of the stuff that I've been up to this past week, uh, obviously we are doing our massive review of Bayonetta 3 mm-hmm. later on in the podcast. Definitely check out that later on in the podcast. We have a lot to say, go figure. But uh, both Seth and I have been putting a lot of time into this game. It's quite a bit bigger than we thought it would be, but we were dedicated to seeing as much of it as possible to give you guys as comprehensive a review as possible. Uh, I spent a lot of time finishing up Bayonetta in that regard and kind of dove immediately into Sonic Forces. Frontiers. Not not Forces. Come on. What was I thinking? Come on. Don't go there. Don't give it that. (laughs) Okay. So so I was thinking about Nintendo Life because Nintendo Life has been getting a lot of flack because ironically enough, you and I kind of joke about Nintendo Life's reviews because... They're a little more positive. Yeah. Yeah. The the joke is you basically have to 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 take away an extra point to to find the real review score because they are they do tend to skew uh very positively and very generous with their scores. Mm -hmm. But they gave Sonic Frontiers a four out of ten. Which I mean, if 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 that's truly how the reviewer felt, more power to them. But it was just so wildly different from so many of the other. Not saying it was getting nines or tens all over the place, but it has been getting considerably better review scores than previous 3D Sonic games through for most outlets. And it was just weird that Nintendo Life of all places was the one that wound up having the super low score right. for a- any game in particular. But it was weird because it was offset by Sonic Forces, which they gave a 6-2, and Sonic Frontiers they gave a 4-2. So that's that's that was just on my mind a lot today, which is why I accidentally... <laughs> I've got Sonic Frontiers up on the, the TV behind me, yeah. and I still misremembered it as Sonic Forces for a second. So I apologize. Well, Thank you very much, Seth. Well, but, look, yeah, I, this is why we don't do review scores. I mean, honestly, exactly. it's because of stuff like this, because like it, it created this whole thing of like, what, like, should, should the review like be individual to the reviewer, which yeah, of course it should yeah. dummy like, like duh. But like then, um, in addition to that, it's like, well, should it, should it be indicative of the entire sites? Like you can do both. Actually, the, the site's review is individual to the reviewer, you know? So it just created this whole thing. And I'm like, you know what the solution is? Just no review scores. That's why we don't do them. So, <laughs> so almost as if we've been ahead of the curve on that for literal years now. Yeah, that's true. Uh, another thing that I've been doing is watching the absolute dumpster fire that is Twitter oh, right God. now. And yeah. as a matter of fact, ironically, Nintendo was kind of at the center of it. Because for those who don't know, if you don't have a Twitter, God bless you, first of all. But... Uh, if if you somehow haven't heard, Elon Musk did in fact buy the social media platform and immediately just started making every possible worst decision he could. Uh, specifically this week, the dumpster fire in question was this idea that instead of the blue check marks being uh, being annotations of 
actual verified sources instead of those blue check marks being indicative of you being a verified, uh, you know, member within the political, entertainment, scientific uh, community. Instead of being verified for your, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Instead of being verified for your authenticity, right? You are now verified if you just give Elon Musk eight dollars a month, <laughs> or at least you did. They dropped that immediately because go figure. When you take something, when you take a gesture that means something, when you take a gesture that the entire point of it was to reflect authenticity and make it something that you can just purchase for $8 a month, go figure chaos immediately ensued because an account deeming themselves Nintendo of America and who happened to have given Twitter $8 and got a blue check mark next to their name tweeted out a picture of Mario giving the middle finger. Yeah. Which um, immediately caused a massive firestorm of controversy. And they, they had to come out and was like, no, Nintendo of America, the official account, did not tweet out a picture of Mario giving an inappropriate gesture. Of course, that didn't happen. And that's just the, the fact that something like that happened immediately. Yeah. After the blue check mark has them thinking, it's like, oh, maybe this terrible idea was actually terrible all along. And now they're having to completely correct course. And it has just been an absolute dumpster fire that has been so entertaining and horrifying to watch at the same time. A mess. A total mess. It really is. Uh, I mean, there's... There's some other stuff that I've been doing. I'm I'm so far behind. If Sam is still here in the chat, I'm sorry. I'm so far behind in my playthrough of Earthbound that we're doing in in the Discord. Yeah. With everything coming out with Bayonetta, with uh, we did a review for Mario Plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope just last week. We got our Bayonetta review this week. We've got our Sonic Frontiers review probably next week. I don't know. Cause we've got soon because po- we've got Pokemon coming next week. I've just been I've been having to play all the games that we have to review for the show, and I have not unfortunately been able to put as much time into Earthbound. Although I really, really want to go back and play it because, of course, it's Earthbound, it's legendary, it's rad as heck, and I really want to go back and play it. There's a lot of stuff that I have. I'm looking at just a bunch of games that I've gotten over the past Too few many. weeks that I really, really want to play. I brought I bought uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, the fighting game, and I really want to put some time into that. I got a puzzle uh, collection from Dracneck and Friends that I really want to put some time into. I've got the Atari 50th collection, which just came out today. I've got the Steelbook coming in the mail, hopefully within the next day or so, and I really want to play that. It's just, uh, man, the things I do for you people. <laughs> Twist your the arm to play video games. <laughs> yeah. The only time that I've really been able to put into anything other than games that we are specifically reviewing for the show is I played about half the demo of this admittedly really cool uh, low poly 3D action platformer that our friend Jordan, the Red Panda, turned us on to. Yeah. Lunistus. It's really good. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I know you, yeah, you've played it a little bit more than I have. I bought it after I played half of the demo and I haven't been able to play it since, but it is just based on the half demo that I played of it. I I bought the game based on just that, if that's any indication of my experience with the game. But if you like low poly stuff like Tori and uh, like Tori 3D and Tori 2 and games of that ilk, I think you'll really, really like Lunistus. Definitely give it a, a try. It's got a demo. Like I said, it's got a demo. 
as a free demo and the full game is only five dollars and i really enjoyed it it'll take you yeah. about two hours to beat um if you want 100 percent, it could probably take you another hour or so because i mean unless it's not bad for five bucks for five bucks i mean it's it's quite yeah. good and and like I, the, the quality of it is really high i think i honestly think that it uh it probably deserves a full indie showcase at some point but um but it's really it is really good like for for five bucks you you can't go wrong i really recommend it yeah, and of course, as much as we love these indie worlds, it's just, I want to play that, I want to play that, I want to play that, I want to play that. Oi. But what about you, bud? Yeah, so for me this week, uh, I do want to just give a quick shout out to uh, my fellow Carpool Gaming crew, uh, the Trophy Room, Save the Game Media, who we partnered with for Extra Life this weekend. Uh, this past weekend, we streamed for 25 hours, raised over $9,000 for the Stollery Children's Hospital. Yay! And uh, it was an amazing time. I couldn't be there physically, but so I was there as much as I could be digitally. Um, I was uh, almost the entire way through in the chat, moderating, oh, yeah. helping with tech stuff, and just uh, and cheering the folks along. Sean was there by himself. So uh, look, next year I will absolutely be there in person um, because it was just the, the FOMO was real, as we mentioned last week. Um, but just a, a huge shout out to that. Um, kind of in recovery mode now, but, um, but yeah, in, in, in terms of video games though, uh, yeah, same as you, uh, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of stuff, not a lot of time to play it. Uh, did again, really enjoyed Lunistus. Um, currently, uh, cause you know, finish Bayonetta again, we have the review happening on the, on the show this week. Um, and now I am just Sonic man, just playing Sonic Frontiers, um, and you know, again, we're, we're going to be doing a review for that soon. There's something kind of cooking up for next week that could potentially be happening. So we, Sonic might be the week after, and then of course, Pokemon comes out. So I don't know. We have to figure out our review schedule, but we're going to be reviewing Sonic Frontiers very soon. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean like early impressions of it. I'm, I really enjoy it so far. Uh, I don't want to to it. Yeah. Like I, I don't want to say too much before seeing the credits because it's possible that this could be completely derailed. Yeah. But so far <laughs> I've put about eight hours into it and I'm impressed. Yeah. Cause specifically for me, I really enjoyed Sonic generations. That's been over yeah. a decade now since the release. I, I really like Sonic generations. I do, but the game has one of the all time worst final boss fights I've ever played. If you wanted to twist my arm right now, I would probably say it's the worst final boss I've ever played in a video game. And I, I really hope Sonic Frontiers doesn't do that. I really hope yeah. you don't. The boss fights so far have actually been really cool yeah. in Sonic Frontiers. It's, you know, I, I keep thinking in my head Sonic of the Colossus is like what it is. Yeah, basically. that's not, yeah. <laughs> a lot <laughs> of know? people immediately made the, the comparison like, you know, Sonic Breath of the Wild and stuff like that. And that is kind of fair, to be honest. Yeah. But there is yeah. some stuff. A lot of the... I didn't get really Shadow of the Colossus. What it reminded me of is a lot of those old 50s and 60s, the classic sci-fi robots and alien designs from stuff like War yeah. of the Worlds and, uh, yeah. and things of that nature. That's kind of what this minimalist, very geometric type of design for the enemies. That's very different than a lot of the stuff that Sonic has been going up Big against time. for almost his entire career. So it is, in many ways, it doesn't feel like a Sonic game, but we've got, we will have much more to say on that in yeah. our full review. 
For sure, for sure. I but I, I do think like if if there's anybody that was kind of like thinking about it, should I give it a try? I do really wish this game had a demo. Yeah. Cause like this is this is the game that probably needed to prove itself more than almost any other game released on the Switch this year. And I will say too, the Switch port is not perfect. Like it does have its drawbacks. There's like pop in like crazy. You know, but it runs actually really solidly. I was actually surprised. I've, I haven't had any frame dips at all for as fast as Sonic is running around this open world. Have you? I have, You've had yeah. some frame dips? Yeah. I haven't had I haven't had any that I've noticed so far. Um, loading times but, are pretty good. I'll give it that. Yeah. Load times are good. And the loading yeah, screen, for, the loading screen. Never mind. Never mind. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going to keep getting off on tangents. So I'm going to start talking about the game. Yeah, we, we don't need to cannibalize our, our upcoming review too much. But I just, all of that to say that so far I am impressed with it. And if you are interested in checking it out, I would say maybe watch some videos on it. I'm probably going to try to stream it this weekend. I have some stuff going on this weekend, but I'm going to stream it soon just to give people a look at it and um, and see how it's running on Switch and stuff like that. Because I know a lot of people are really curious about it. Hopefully that'll kind of tide you over uh, until our full review. So, but that's that's basically it dude that and marvel snap i'm addicted to marvel snap uh, dude it's about quit it. talking about marvel <laughs> yeah everybody here knows how much of a marvel fanboy i am we did a Just we did it. a specific side dude i don't have time to get addicted to something like that i know yeah, who i it. am i know who i am i know what type of person that i am if i find something i'm already getting addicted to sonic frontiers if i find something like that you may never see me again <laughs> no it's it's i will say too like it's not even that marvel snap is not predatory at all with microtransactions to well, the point good. where that's like good. to the point where i actually am surprised that like i not only do i not want to spend money on anything but like i kind of almost can't like i can spend the, the money on the season pass which i did buy the season pass um that's 10 bucks you know well worth it Especially if you're playing it as much as I'm playing it. Yeah. Um, but other than that, like, the currency and stuff, you get all of that so easily naturally that, like, I've never once been tempted to buy anything other than the season pass. So it isn't predatory. And I think that if you were to play it, you wouldn't be sucked into a money pit. A time pit, maybe. But even then, it's so, like, pick up and play. It's, like, brilliantly designed. This is not a mobile game podcast. This game is not on Switch. But Marvel Snap is really, really good. Like just really well made, legitimately one of my favorite games this year. If like, they were if they really were smart, good. they would put it on the Switch because I mean that's a perfect platform for a game like that. Handheld, yeah. touch screen. Although, please don't because I really don't need it. <laughs> and the rounds are so fast that like yeah, like the Switch. I mean, like one of the brilliant things about Marvel Snap is how much are they paying you right now, Seth? <laughs> yeah, so this is not sponsored by Marvel. I mean. DMs are open, Marvel Snap. If you want to, if you want to reach true out, true story. Uh, <laughs> Marvel, but call me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eric, Eric's like, oh, I'm, I'm trying not to play this right now, but he'll play it real quick if you slide into his DMs. Kevin Feige, uh, let me know. <laughs> I will do a yeah, 180 on that choice quickly, <laughs> real quick. It's really, really good. Uh, I'm, I'm like genuinely and i'm not even like the world's biggest marvel guy but it's just a really well designed this game is all you really need to know one of the lead designers of hearthstone is the creative director of this game so that's really all you need to know it's just i like it better than hearthstone flat out really yeah i think I, it's i think it's a better than hearthstone i know you hold hearthstone in a very high yeah. esteem 
Yeah. In terms of game design, I think it's stronger than Hearthstone. Wow. Um, yeah. So la, there's la, that. La, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. Oh, man. Well, fingers and uh, ears. Just la, 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 la. <laughs> yeah. You need to try it, man. You need to give it a shot. But uh, we've got so much to talk about in the news this we week, do. man. So let, let's just rip off this Band-Aid. What do you say we get into it? Oh, this is such a beautiful Band-Aid to rip off, though. Ah, let's talk about it. Hey, listen. All right, well, outside of the aforementioned Twitter dumpster fire going on within the world of Nintendo, far and away the biggest news story within the world of the big end was this past week's Indie World Direct. 25 minutes of amazing looking indie titles. And Seth, I know that as far as you're concerned, you think this is one of the best indie worlds of all time. I personally don't think that I'm willing to say that. That is not to say I didn't think it was good. Far from it. There were some amazing looking games shown off in this. So let's just jump right into it. I think when it comes to this show, maybe the biggest headline of the show is probably Sports Story, the game that we thought didn't even exist anymore. Not only is it (laughs) back, but we have a release window. It's coming out next spring. Cannot wait. We did a... No, no. They said it was December. December is supposed to be Sports Story, and... Like, it's supposed to come out next month. And, like, we don't have a date for it. It just said December. That was really weird to me. I guess I'm getting my dates mixed up with one of the other games. I mean, there's a million games. Yeah, I don't blame you for games. it. But they but just have they just had a vague December date for Sports Story. I well, I don't get it. Well, I adored Golf Story. We did an indie showcase on Golf Story a while back. And I, we've been waiting on Golf Story. We've been... You know, waiting with bated breath, sports story being talked of in whispers, almost to silk song levels of of intrigue and mystery at this almost. point. But yeah. but yeah, finally, sports story is back and it's releasing very soon. Apparently, next month, according to Seth, and I, I you know, he's he's my blue check mark. He's my verified <laughs> source, so I do look. Believe I him. thought it was weird. I I thought it was really like I'm happy to see it, but like if if it's coming out next month, they're like of course they have a date in mind. I don't get it. Like and that's like and we talked about this. I think it might have been just last week with Day of the Devs, right? That was last week, huh? I think so. That sounds right. Know. Last week, the week. What before. are days, dude? Yeah, yeah. Stupid passage of time. But but something that we said then was it super annoyed me during Day of the Devs how they just mm-hmm. wouldn't commit to dates for like anything. Yeah. The, the Indie World showcases are always really good about doing this. And we had games with December dates confirmed. But then Sports Story, the one more thing, the biggest headline of the entire thing is coming out in a month and we don't have a date. That just seemed very strange to me. I, I don't, don't know. know. It could be... They could be waiting to see what the release schedule looks like in, in terms of other things because they could it could be fluid for them depending on maybe you know what uh, what else releases because when it comes to the holiday shopping season when it comes to the holiday release list it's so easy it's already easy for indie games especially to get lost in the sauce and get lost in the vast ocean of other Nintendo Switch releases there's only 40 games that come out every week on the Nintendo Switch so especially for indie games it's super easy to get lost in the sauce so that could be something that they're doing they could be looking at the re- uh, the release schedule specifically for December and trying to decide when when they can get the most bang for their buck. I'll tell you my theory. Um, I think it's going to get shadow dropped at the game awards. 
That's my theory. That's true. I think that'll. That's a good point. I think point. they'll put. I think it, they'll put out a, a trailer and they'll just shadow drop it at the Game Awards. I think Indie World knew that it was coming out, but they're like, hey, we have this commitment to the Game Awards. You can have our trailer, but all we can say is December. It is a notable enough indie game that that is a very plausible outcome, yeah. I think. Me too. So yeah. I I could definitely see that. Uh, the Game Awards, of course, airs every year at the beginning of December. As a matter of fact, this coming Monday should be the list of nominations for the, the nominees. Game Awards. Mm-hmm. So very much looking forward to that. But yeah, Sports Story, that's going. That's almost a guaranteed indie showcase at some time in the near future. Cannot wait for that game to come out. That's probably going to get a physical as well. I own the physical for Golf Story. This uh, It's, it's going to be so much. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much cool. It's going to be so much rad. Just all the superlatives. <laughs> it's going to be all of those. Outside of that, outside of Sports Story, I think maybe the biggest headline was kind of buried a little bit in a montage of other games because that was weird. Because honestly, I think the biggest headline after Sports Story is the fact that we're getting officially getting officially announced for the Nintendo Switch Inscription, one of the best games of last year officially getting released on the Nintendo Switch. Uh also this December. Yeah, December 1st for Inscription. And Inscription is like it really is one. And I, I played it for the backtrackers. Um, I think a month ago, um, I played it on PC. I was kind of waiting and hoping that I was going to get to just play it on switch. Um, Cause we knew it had been rated for switch back in like October. And yeah. I was kind of hoping, but we wound up not getting it. We're getting it in December, December 1st. And this is a special, special game. Um, this one, I'm going to get it again. Special reserves doing a physical. I'm going to yep. get the physical. Like I, yeah, <laughs> that's how, that's how great. I woke up in the middle of last night is Seth sending me the link to the special. Like, dude, it's getting a physical. I'm like, yeah. I just woke up, turned over like, uh, bought, bought. <laughs> <laughs> and then put my phone back down. <laughs> yeah. That's one. I mean that I need to have that in my collection. It, it's a great game. Um, I'm really looking forward to you playing it. That is going yeah. to be one heck of an indie showcase whenever you get around to it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what category does that even go into when we're talking about the golden aces puzzle simulation, uh, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, that game goes so many different places that like, it's hard to talk about because like, I genuinely don't want to say too much. Like there, there's a lot that you could spoil about inscription inscription does not, the game that I compare it the most to actually is there is no game wrong dimension. Really? And that that's the game that it reminds me the most of. So like come into inscription when it comes out December 1st and expect the unexpected. That's what I'll say. Yeah. God, (laughs) There is no game wrong dimension. That is such a fantastic title. Not a game, a title, not a game. Yeah. Non game. Non game. (laughs) Uh, going from sports story, going to inscription, I would say after that, most notable, not necessarily the biggest headline, but probably the most notable, you and I both are super hyped for this new Devolver Digital Drill Dozer spiritual successor. Uh, uh, what is it? Pepper thing? Pepper Grinder. Pepper Grinder. Yeah. yeah. It looks really cool. It looks like a mix basically between Grapple Dog and Drill Dozer. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I yeah, the, the drill dozer thing is obvious just oh, yeah. right from the outset cuz you play as this um I guess she's a pirate. Her name is Pepper. She is shipwrecked on an island. Other pirates have stolen her her gems and her gold and whatnot I hate and she it when has that to use her. Yeah, you hate it when that happens, right? Yeah. And then uh she has to use her uh her big like drill to to get it back and like the gameplay just looks really fun and you know, we don't Drill Dozer was a really special game, actually, <laughs> a Game Freak game, as it turns out, um, and that, a connected. very special game on the GBA. It's all connected, and um, and it's it's about time that we got some sort of spiritual successor to it. I'm very, very interested in this. This was probably my game of the show. This was yeah. probably the one that I'm most excited about coming out of this. Yeah, I I don't know. It was either this or. Uh, uh, for me, it's the uh, oh, what was the uh, the death? Uh, have a nice death. Oh, that looks great. Have a yeah. nice death, where you actually play as the Grim Reaper, and you go through this bureaucracy of it. It looks like Death Junior meets Death's Door, essentially. Yeah, a lot of death games. <laughs> a lot of death games. A lot of death games. But it looks absolutely rad. the The visual style, the very monochromatic uh, styling of the game, is very reminiscent of something like Hollow Knight. But mm-hmm. the action looks really fluid. It looks really cool, really stylistic. And I just, I need it, Seth. I know we're done with spooky season. We're officially done with spooky season this year. But I would happily extend spooky season for that game a little while longer. That looks yeah. absolutely awesome. Coming March 22nd, 2023. So that one has a date. And um, the, I mean, yeah, the animation is amazing. Yeah, like it's it, super it, good. It looks gorgeous. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, if you liked Hollow Knight at all, you absolutely need to have, you probably have already bought it if you're a fan of Hollow Knight. But if you haven't uh, checked it out yet and you are a fan of Hollow Knight, you definitely need to look into this game. Yeah, I think like like the, the thing with me when it came to this Indie World Showcase was... I was genuinely interested in almost everything shown. Yeah. Like um, for almost everything shown and and like it's such a stark difference from if you remember last time we had an indie world showcase was I think in like April or May and it was really quite weak. It was yeah. like eh. Yeah, you, you and know? I were not very impressed with it. There was no one more thing. It just there was a lot of it that felt awkward, the presentation and the, you know, the presenters themselves mm-hmm. just yeah, there was just something wholly off about it but it looks like they got back on track with this that's how it was for me man yeah like there's a couple games that don't really vibe with me uh Mm. speaking of games that i know there was one right before i was afraid this was going to be the final game they shut off but thankfully sports story was the one more thing but this game a little to the left this little cozy puzzle game i know specifically you played the steam demo for it that's another thing yes. that we have up on the the youtube channel that you ought to check out but yeah, uh, yeah i played the demo for it actually um Lockleth, our our friend Lockleth and mm-hmm. uh, my co-host on the nintendo drive uh she has been playing it on switch she bought it cuz it was shadow dropped during the indie world and she really likes it she was saying that the only complaint she has is playing it with like a controller versus a mouse and keyboard i can um, see that cuz cuz i and i can too considering the type of game it is it's this puzzle game that's all about 
organization. You're just like taking things and lining them up a certain way. Hence the, the title is kind of in reference to when you're like arranging a picture frame eh, a little to the left, it's not quite centered. That's what the whole game is. And meanwhile, you have this annoying cat who is like reaching the paw in and like messing things up while you're trying to, you know, arrange things and, and order them. So, um, but it's, I, I like it. I don't know if it's something I wasn't like, ah, oh, day one, I'm going to get it. Yeah. I I'm somebody who really likes organization and stuff like that so um i enjoyed the demo and i do want to play this eventually but you know i just i just don't have time for something like that right now yeah so i know the feeling uh the to be honest the other game like wobble dogs or whatever that didn't leave a strong impression no, on me either me either yeah but i there's still so many other games that did really look cool there's one speaking of shadow drops uh, there's a game that we will be talking about a little bit uh, later on in the episode that both Seth and I picked up. We played to completion and we we're like, this game is so funny and awesome. It needs to be an indie showcase, right? Meow. And we're talking about yeah. Once Upon a Jester. It, it had a really good showing at the indie world. We were both like, "I yeah, we need to check this out. It shadow dropped. We both played it and we will be telling you all about it later on in the yeah. podcast. Easy indie showcase. And y'all know what that means. We enjoyed it quite a bit. And um, I I honestly haven't been able to stop thinking about it since finishing it. Like I just keep going. (laughs) Dosh Beach? Dosh Beach. Oh, it's really good. It's really good. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about that later in the podcast. (laughs) I know that uh, obviously we're super hyped for it. We did see uh, Coffee Talk Chapter 2, Hibiscus and Butterfly again. So... I mean, that's still a day one for Seth and I. That's still going to be super awesome. Seth and I find reasons to talk about the first title. It's it's one of the best world-building games we've ever seen. It's one of the best narratively driven games that we've seen that we've seen on the Nintendo Switch. Not very gameplay intensive, but it is it's a really really special little title and we expect more of the same from chapter 2 hibiscus and butterfly which is to say we expect it to also be a special title but uh, we yeah. did see coffee talk chapter 2 again definitely check out the first one on the nintendo switch if you haven't already just to let you know coffee talk is one of those games where if you try to get the physical online it's one of those games that's already stupid expensive it's one of those games yeah yeah, this is this is going to be a special one. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It's coming next spring. Um so you know, even though we still it's no closer than it was and we didn't get a hard date, it was nice to see it. Yeah. And how do you pronounce this? Dordog? Um I'm I'm I, I think apologize. it's Dordonia? Th- yeah, I'm not think sure. So. Yeah, Dor- Dordonia is this like it's it's Spanish. French. Yeah, it's it's French, I guess, and I I don't know what it means, but it's this, it's this very sort of like painterly yeah. sort of aesthetic. Um, it really reminded me of Boko no Natsuyasumi, the, uh, the, my summer vacation games. Like it kind of reminded me of that, that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, or like the Shinchan game that just the came Shin, out yeah. that I, that I talked about. Um, kind of those Kazayabe games where you're playing as this actually between two timelines, like this, this woman in her childhood and in her, um, sort of adulthood and her relationship, I guess, to her grandmother. And it looks like you're kind of exploring this like French countryside, very, again, watercolor painterly look. Yeah. Um, you're taking pictures, recording things with your, um, with your like, uh, I was going to say Walkman. I don't really know that. I guess just a tape recorder with like a microphone. Probably. Yeah. 
but yeah. it, it looks really cool just from the visual aesthetic, just from the art direction of the game. It looks really, really striking. It almost looks like something they thought they were going to turn into an animated feature and swerved yeah. halfway through creation and decided just to make it a game instead. It's, it very much has a cinematic quality to it and just this beauty. That's really the best way to put it. Just this beauty that, you know, encapsulates the entire experience. It looks just from the stills. That looks like mm-hmm. a game that I want to play and want to check out. I don't know yeah, too much beautiful. about the actual narrative itself. Like I said, we're going around throughout parallel timelines as this woman, something to do with uh, their grandmother, but just for the sake of, and, and admittedly the developer themselves was very charismatic. He very much had this kind of, you know, uh, art house film director feel to him. Yeah, he's got like a black turtleneck French yeah. guy and like a cozy chair, and you know he's he's got that kind of vibe. I I knew I was like I knew this is a French. This is like the most French looking game I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. You know, I it just it just has that sort of like air to it. You know, so. <laughs> Yeah, if you saw some of those old French animated shows like Spartacus and the Sun Beneath the Sea and yeah. the you know the the Cities of Gold, just yep. those shows done with a watercolor kind of painted aesthetic. That's kind of and if you understand either of those references, uh, it might be time to uh, get a few things checked up on at the doctor. Yeah, you you, you might need to uh, check in and make sure AARP membership is exactly, in good standing. Yeah. And <laughs> check out your Medicare. <laughs> yeah there were there were a couple other games that we that were known quantities we did know about this game blanc but it still looks really cool um a very uh you know never alone style a very mm-hmm. uh extinction style game where you play as a couple adorable little woodland creatures in this monochromatic black and white landscape. Looks like it's going to be a very cozy kind of physics-based puzzle platformer or 3D puzzle game. But uh, I mean, it just, it looks super adorable and probably going to be a a tearjerker. I don't know anything about about the game, but it's, it's probably (laughs) going to, it's probably going to be one of those games that wrecks you at the end of it, but I'm here for it. Looks like it's going to make you cry. Yeah. And then, of course, it's coming out on Valentine's Day because, I of course, that, it is. Yeah. 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 You know, so and it's a co-op game. So, like, it's going to be a sort of, like, you know, cozy co-op Valentine's Day thing where you and your significant other are going to be in tears by the end of it. So, yeah, get ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> Storyteller was another known quantity. And, in fact, another game that you've done a video on you played the steam demo my first hit video yeah (laughs) for storyteller and it's a game that i'm very much looking forward to because i mean storyteller is like my handle it's my handle on the nintendo switch if you don't see me uh online as all in eric then you probably see me under the under the gamer tag storyteller or something it's a word i have literally tattooed on my arm yeah so there it is uh, very, very much looking forward to that when that comes out. Uh, it's really, really interesting gameplay. You basically play throughout these series of slideshows. You play through these series of uh, storyboards, essentially, and you set mm-hmm. up the storyboards using elements that you're given. You set up the storyboards in a way that naturally tells the story that you are given to tell. So it does. Yeah, I'm I'm explaining it terribly, but it does actually look really cool. 
it's hard to explain. It's yeah. So you're basically given like a a story setup, and and it's a puzzle game really, because you're you're given a story setup. You'll have maybe like three panels say to start, and in that setup, it'll be like um you know two lovers unite or something like that, and you have to get these characters to fall in love inside of a three panel storyboard, and you can do that by changing things like setting, the position of the characters, the things they interact with, and stuff like that. It's a really unique little game. Uh, I played it on the channel forever ago. Yeah. Got to be a year and a half ago or something like that. So it's it's nice that this finally has a date. It's coming March 23rd. So I'm looking forward to it. I am too. I am too. Uh, a couple other games real quick here as we're winding things down. Another one that I'm super excited for because I'm a massive pro wrestling nerd in addition to everything else. Uh, WrestleQuest is right up my alley. Like if it's I had so good too. if I if I had an actual alley, this game would walk directly up it, right up to me and slap me in the face. Yeah, this is this is you're gonna love this. Yeah. I already know you are. Oh, I, yeah. I this is another one that I've played on the channel actually. Mm-hmm. Um during a Steam Next Fest, I played the demo for for this one, and it is a really unique wrestling RPG kind of set in this like toy perspective and it's got all these classic like wrestling characters in it um and uh, it's it's also just like a really good rpg with a unique art style and um yeah i i'm excited for this one i'm not even half the wrestling fan you are it's coming in may of next year yeah so it's gonna be great yeah I'm the, really i can literally see to that. that like i could see that being one of your favorite games of next year it wouldn't genuinely. surprise me at all would not surprise me at all. I'm a huge like pro wrestling naturally is such an over the top type of form of entertainment that it lends itself so well to arcade style or over the top video games. Retromania that yeah. came out got a couple years ago now. I still play that fairly regularly. They've still got apparently some more characters coming to it at some point, but I really adore uh, Retromania, and I want more games like that. Please give me more classic style wrestling games. I don't care if you want to make it stealth action. I'll probably still enjoy it somehow. But they've decided to turn it into a really unique style turn-based RPG, and I am both here for it, then left and came back and I'm here for it again. <laughs> yeah, as Sam in the chat points out, a lot of Paper Mario energy to WrestleQuest. It definitely has like classic Paper Mario vibes. I can see uh, that. Mario and Luigi vibes yeah. for sure. Yeah. It reminds me quite a bit of the Mario and Luigi games. Um yeah, it's really good. Like yeah. I I'm I'm really excited for that. And there's there there's one more game. It didn't really there were so there were there were several other games that were much more bombastic that left a much more, you know, a, a bigger exclamation mark in terms of their uh their their impact on the on the showcase. But there was something about this game, a space for the unbound, that just really, like, I just can't get it out of my mind. It does look super interesting. It looks, at the same time, kind of slice of life, but also sci-fi slash horror mystery, kind of. It does. Yeah. It just looks really interesting. Almost like Shin-Chan meets Detention. Yeah, this is the game that, if you remember, this is the one that was in the center of that P-Cube controversy um, from a couple of months ago. And what's cool is they wound up um, finding a new home with our friends at Toge Productions and Chorus Worldwide to publish this one. So the game has actually been done for quite some time. It's just in 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 this kind of center of controversy between everything happening with P-Cube. We don't need to get into that again, but there was a lot of 
um, alleged misconduct and things like that. Apparently that's been settled and they now have a, a new home with again, Toge and Chorus Worldwide who works with a lot of Indonesian developers. Yeah. Um, and, a lot and of really they're, notable they're games. Coffee Talk is yeah. one of theirs. Really, really great. Really fantastic Indonesian um, uh, indie publisher and developer that, that Seth and I have nothing but respect for. And we're very glad oh, yeah. that they came the in best. and that they came in yeah. and kind of helped uh, the studio out. Yeah, and it's coming soon. January 19th is the new date for that game, and that's going to be a very uh, special one indeed. I'm looking forward to checking that out. You know, it's it's funny because, like, I mean, maybe this just speaks to um, just how much more this indie world hit for me, I guess. But I'm like, I'm looking forward to that game. Goodbye World, I think, looks really cool. That it does sort look, of like it looks interesting. I don't, I don't I really know great. what to take from it based on what we saw because yeah, it's it's very nondescript. It was very vague. What we saw yeah. at, at the Indie World Direct. It's it's about, and we, we saw it, I believe, during either the Annapurna Game Showcase or the Summer Day of the Devs. I can't remember which one. Um, but they, one of them had, do you remember one of them had like a, like a Japanese indie dev segment at yes. one point? Yes, 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 yes. It, it appeared in that. It appeared yeah. in that segment. So these are Japanese indie devs. And the story is about these kind of like yes. couple of people yeah. who are depressed and working on a Game working Boy game. Working on a game, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's this one. And it's coming later this month. I actually know the the date, but I can't say it. I I uh we we have been talking to the publisher and I, I know when it's coming out, but um all I they haven't officially announced it, so I shouldn't say. I, they've said later this month. Yeah. So we're not under an see... NDA, we just respect the developers and the publishers. Yeah, we're there's no NDA. I don't know how much of a secret it actually is, but they haven't officially said, so I'm not gonna say it. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's coming soon. It's coming very soon. Um, so goodbye world looks really cool. Um I'm I'm also really interested in Akka, which comes yeah, out on the fifteenth of December. Yeah. Where you play as cool, this... where you play as a red panda? You do play as a red panda. Apparently a retired red panda warrior who is relaxing on this like mystical Japanese island has like a really cool art style to it. It has yeah. this sort of like You're gonna meet farming Poe sim. and you're gonna fight the Furious Five and <laughs> Yeah. It looks really cool. I love the art style. Uh I'm very into that. Um you know, we we mentioned earlier, and we should we should say Rogue Legacy Two Shadow dropped, which was a big deal and a huge thanks to the publisher who actually did provide us a code for that. And as Eric mentioned earlier, I did play it here on the channel. I am very bad at the game, but it's cool <laughs> to have it on Switch finally. That's true. And, um, yeah. And and it's running really well on Switch. The game's you know gorgeous to look at. Looks very pretty on the OLED screen. Controls perfectly. Um, Rogue Legacy, a really unique sort, you know, actually, I want to shout out, there's a YouTube commenter. Normal YouTube commenters can be kind of mean to me, but this no. YouTube commenter made, Seth. no, me, no, never. Um, but we had a YouTube commenter that made a really good point who said, um, Rogue Legacy 2 is like a modern Ghosts and Goblins game done well, like done right. And it is sort of like that. Yeah. It is like a, it is like a cartoony Ghosts and Goblins uh, roguelike 
with the the whole gimmick being whenever you die because you're gonna die it's a roguelike yeah. <laughs> um the the next character you play as is your is heir de- yeah your descendant you don't technically mm-hmm. play as the same character reincarnated right. every time you die it goes to you know if you play as philip the third the next character you play as philip the fourth or or whatever you always yeah see- it'll roll like random characters with random classes and re- like i in the in the uh, little bit that i played here on the channel I had a character who had a farting problem, a flatulence problem. And um, so that, that came into play. Uh, and I had a character who was very like, um, like had a lack of focus. So when items would drop, I had to pick them up very quickly or they would just go away because so, the character would like forget where they are. So um, it, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Like they, they have a ton of little stuff like that. And, um, it's got like some, some really unique RPG, like kind of base building mechanics to it. A lot of unique classes. Um, it's really, really good. I'm looking forward to playing more of it. And specifically so, um, the Nintendo switch version is very content rich. Like everything that they've added yes. post launch, all the extra content and stuff that they've added to the game since its initial release is all here in the switch version. I, I I'm looking forward to playing more of it. There's just so much to play. Yeah, but but yeah, we did we did get a code for that, and we've we've been uh, enjoying that so far. So thanks again to the publishers for that. Thank you, thank you so much. But yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's probably like the the big ones that stood out to me. That that game Venba that they opened with looks cool to me. Yeah, um, it looks like kind of a like a Cooking Mama sort of thing, but. It's it's like telling the story about this um this this family um the, these I guess they're they're immigrants from India that moved to Canada yeah um and it's it's telling like this sort of story about like finding community and like reinvigorating your culture with food and stuff and I Indian food's my favorite that's my favorite type like like food I'm a huge fan of Indian food so I'm looking at this I'm like dude I I would be so hungry playing this game but uh it looks cool I'm yeah. I'm interested in that one but. I also kind of like, I'll be interested to see what it winds up turning into. It's got very Breath of the Wild light vibes. This game, Oni, Quest, or Road to be the Mightiest Oni. Road to be the Mightiest Oni. Yeah. It actually looks beautiful. Like, graphically, it looks really pretty. Um, kind of uh, Sakuna vibes a little yeah, bit I with the graphics. But everything I've seen of it almost looks the exact same. So, it... it it does make me wonder how much variety there is, not just in terms of location, but in gameplay and in enemies. So, you know, it does look good, but I just feel like every time I've seen it, which is three or four times now, it was shown off at one of the bit summits. And I think I saw oh, it. Really? At, yeah. I think I saw it at, at another, but every time I see the game, it's the exact same footage or very, very similar footage. So yeah, I don't we'll know. see. I hope it's good. March 9th. Well, I hope all these games are good. I want all of these games to come out and be nominated for the Golden Aces for Indie Game of the Year. I want all of them to be the best Indie Game of the Year. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. However, the Indie Game landscape has gotten to the point where there is some consistent quality coming out. You guys, you, there's a lot of talent out there. You guys yeah, are pretty good. There's a lot. Yeah, you get pretty good. You guys are pretty you guys good are- <laughs> at making these Indie Games. Man, I, I say, you guys know a thing or two. Yeah, it, it, for for me, it was really, really strong in D-World. Like I said, I wanted to play most of what we saw there. There were a few games that kind of fell flat for me, but like 90% of it. Like this this one, it's not quite 
like to that S tier, like that one new world showcase that had like Raji and Takeshi and Hiroshi and like, Manifold like that one was like and, stellar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, th- that's a high bar to reach, but it's probably for me personally, just under that one. I thought it was really strong. Yeah. So. There were a lot of, I was super, super stoked to finally see Sports Story again and th- having that come out yeah. here in the very near future makes Eric very happy. I was very, very excited to finally get confirmation of Inscription and not just confirmation to find out that that's coming out in just a few weeks. And then, you know, a lot of games that we have are known quantities. Uh, the fact that there were three shadow drops I thought was awesome, including a couple very notable shadow drops. It's always nice because you... I'm I'm not I'm not trying to say that there needs to be shadow drops from every show or that we are entitled to have a couple titles to right. play after every show but you know coming off of the hype of a show like that it's just a really smart business decision if you decide if your game's ready just to go ahead and drop it in conjunction with a massive show like that, because that's going to like, that's going to be one of the best ways to get your game in front of people is to have it in a big presentation like this. And then to tell people, Oh, by the way, you can play it now. And thankfully uh, three very notable games did just that again, one of which we will be talking about much more in a few minutes. But yeah, super good show. Glad that they got back on uh, back on track from the fairly underwhelming indie world that we got earlier on in the year. Did, Nintendo is very good at making these types of presentations, so uh, I hope it continues. Hope it continues. Yeah. Probably yeah, going to be the, the last, last um, major one. Yeah, I was just going to say yeah. the same thing. Yeah, probably the last major showcase of the year. Um, you know, we we typically expect a, a mainline direct in February. So, well, th- that'll probably be the last one we get from Nintendo this year as we sort of get properly into the holiday season. But um, we did get a Q2 2023 financial briefing from mm-hmm. Nintendo, which I won't spend a ton of time on this, but there are a few really cool little nuggets from this. Seth is such um, an, I'm not, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but Seth is such a nerd for these, for these financial briefings. And there is a lot of really interesting stuff that you can take away from the numbers that Nintendo gives. And some very notable milestones have been yeah. hit by some very notable games that are definitely worth noting. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, notes. Um, So uh, the, the, the big one that a lot of people kind of look for when we get to these quarterly financial briefings is where's the Nintendo switch sitting at in terms of its hardware sales? How is it ranking against, how does it stack up against the other ones? Especially as we're going into the holiday, the uh, current uh, hardware sales for the Nintendo switch, it's now at 114 million. Um, which is just below the Game Boy family of systems. Now it's knocking on their door. They're sitting at 118 million. So um, we're we're right there. Um, the next time we get these, especially after the holiday, we're either going to be right under or we're going to overtake uh, Game Boy. And then next will be DS for the best selling. I think we're going to be right under just because Me we, too. we kind of talked yeah. about this last week. I think if Nintendo's Black Friday and holiday deals were stronger. Right. I think they could overtake the Game Boy family of systems by the next quarter. But again, as we said last week, we thought the holiday deals were frankly kind of weak from Nintendo. So I don't expect it to overtake it in the next quarter. But by, you know, by spring. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking, too. We'll see. I mean, they have some big I mean, Pokemon's going to sell systems you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it all shakes out. But I, I, I'm sort of with you. I think 
the the yeah the holiday offerings are just kind of weak in terms of actual hardware so we'll see how it all shakes out um a couple of big like software related stories so splatoon 3 and and i just want to bear in mind here folks this um uh, this quarter ended on september the end of september september 30th so splatoon 3 in just 21 days sold almost 8 million units so it's uh splatoon 3 doing pretty well i would say Three weeks, <laughs> eight million units. Yeah. I, I want to put this out there. There are some notable Nintendo first-party franchises that have not seen lifetime sales of eight million. The fact that this game did eight million in less than a month is stupid. Yeah, huge game. Huge game, and it's only going to continue, especially as we get into the holidays. I do think, I feel they like... must have listened to our review. I, yeah, I guess so. I, I feel like people are kind of... I mean, the hardcore fan base is always going to be there. Yep. But um, I do think it's time to start getting some updates with Splatoon. Obviously, there's a Splatfest going on right now. Um, so a lot of people are excited about that. The Splatfests are always exciting. But I'm ready. Like, give me that big run update. Like, I need something. Like, I need a little bit more of a carrot on a stick, you know? Yeah. Because I feel like I'm just logging in to do Splatfest at this point personally i know they but. did give us the roadmap when the game launched they gave us the roadmap of the updates to the catalog that we're going to get every yeah. couple of months for at least the next two years obviously we're going to get the Splatfests. i i did think they were going to be slightly more frequent the fact we didn't get anything in october a month that is tailor-made for Splatfests, especially considering yeah. that you know splattober was kind of a thing for a yeah. long time so we, the fact we didn't get any Splatfest for October led both Seth and I to think that we were going to get this first big run update, that that first event. And my thoughts are something happened with it. They fully intended to do it this October, but there was something wrong in the coding, something wrong. They weren't able to implement it the way they wanted to. And they wound up, instead of just having a broken version of the the event out there that would have soured people on the game very fast rather mm -hmm. than just not uh, rather than just have the game come out and do something like that they just opted to push it back to you know whenever so that's kind of my thoughts on what potentially could have happened with that yeah and they they also have dedicated a lot of um development resources to like fixing net code and stuff like that, which I think they, they probably weren't really expecting. So that that's been, you know, that's been at the front of their, their development as well for that. So I, I think that's got something to do with it. It probably pushed things back kind of a little bit. Um, another kind of big one, shout outs to Lockleth here in the chat. Lockleth and I on the Nintendo drive this past week did a Kirby blowout because uh, Kirby and the Forgotten Land has officially become the best-selling game in the Kirby franchise at now over 5 million units sold, 5.27 to be exact. I think Kirby's Dream Land was 5.13 or something like that. So it is now the best-selling game in the Kirby franchise. Well-deserved. Kirby fans unite. <laughs> Shoutouts to Kirby and the Forgotten Land. One of the best games of the year still for my money. The fact that the original Game Boy Kirby's Dream Land was up until this quarterly briefing was uh, the best selling Kirby game of all time to this day. Uh, that 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 kind of blew my mind. But Kirby and the Forgotten Land, Kirby's first true foray into 3D adventure uh, was just absolutely fantastic. We did a review of that way back in April. I believe, and or the end of March, yeah. and it was 
man, you Kirby games are pretty uniformly good, but this one was spectacular. It really was. Yeah. If you haven't checked it out, I definitely, definitely recommend it. Fully deserved. Still can't believe that just over five million is the bar to set for best selling in the franchise. What was I just talking about? How there are some first party Nintendo franchises that haven't seen lifetime sales of 8 million. It took almost the full calendar year for Kirby to hit over 5 million. Splatoon hit yeah. 8 in less than a month. That's ugh. Yeah. I mean, it's it's How do numbers it's even kind work of, anymore, Seth? I I I yeah. I don't know how to math any anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I mean, you look at, at franchises like Metroid, and F-Zero, and, yeah. you know, that certain certain franchises are more niche, and I think Kirby is kind of there on the fringe, and it's nice to see a game as good as Kirby and the Forgotten Land um, kind of have the sales to back it up. Yeah. So I, I'm very happy to see it do this well. Um, and, you know, the, the last sort of thing I'll highlight here, and there are a couple other things from this, but the last one that I'll stop and highlight is that now Animal Crossing New Horizons, as of this quarter has officially overtaken the first Pokemon generation as the best-selling game of all time in, in Japan. Japan. Yep. So, congrats to to Animal Crossing, man. And we are we knew the game was a juggernaut. It's the second best-selling game on the Nintendo Switch. I believe it also just crossed 40 million units sold. So, it's a it's a massive success. One of the um one of the most perfectly timed releases in video game history. Yeah, a story uh, we know, told a few times, but yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you know why it sold that much, right, Seth? Why is that? They saw Lockless videos. That's true. They saw Lockless videos. That was what it was. Yeah, Lockless in the chat here. She's playing Animal Crossing right now. So, there you go. <laughs> I think she just started a new island. You should definitely check it out. Yeah, she did. We we are yeah. absolutely next time we move into a new all in HQ, she's absolutely our interior decorator. <laughs> there you go. I'll take her up on that. So, but those were those are some of the stories from the Nintendo Q2 2023 financial briefing. Some cool things to to highlight there. Um, there's another little story. There's not a whole lot to glean from this, but I did just want to pass this along because it's interesting. Uh, Nintendo has established a joint venture company with DNA. So that is the company behind Pokemon Go, mm-hmm. um, for example. And this is called Nintendo Systems. Um, the implications of this are kind of unknown. We don't really know what it means, but they say that their goal is to, quote, strengthen the digitalization of Nintendo's business, and it will, quote, research and develop as well as create value-added services to further reinforce Nintendo's relationship with consumers, end quote. That statement means nothing. So we don't really know what what this is, but it is a thing. Nintendo Systems buzzwords. in collaboration with DNA. Buzzwords. This just it's, it's just flowery PR text that means absolutely nothing. So... Um, but who knows? It, it is kind of, it makes perfect sense that Nintendo is going to continue to strengthen a relationship with DNA. It has been a very, very lucrative one. Yeah. So no our, surprise there. Our intent with this collaboration is to use state-of-the-art technology to really push forward into the future in a way that we find both beneficial and entertaining for all involved. We have uh, all all of our customer base in mind, and we are very excited uh, for this new joint venture which we have which will be producing a lot of very state-of-the-art things moving toward yeah. the future just just like skipping the margins writing on the front and the back of the page you know it's it's those kind of vibes <laughs> it's not there's not a whole lot to say about this yeah. one but it is it is worth noting maybe <laughs> something to keep an eye on when you had to write a 1500 uh, word report and you only had like three sentences worth of actual stuff to say 
Yeah. When you're filling out your resume with like these little (laughs) dumb like side jobs that you did for a week. That's basically what this is. But hey, (laughs) Nintendo Systems, something to kind of keep an eye on. We'll definitely report back to y'all if and when something comes of this. But we got a lot of Pokemon news. It's been a big week week. for Pokemon. It's been a big week. Can we can we get a standing ovation for Ash Ketchum? Standing ovation. Finally did it. Actually, not Ash Ketchum. Standing ovation for Satoshi. Yeah, yeah, Satoshi. It was technically, that episode is not aired in America yet. It was the Japanese episode. It just happened this past week. After 25 years, Satoshi uh, has finally become the world champion in the Pokemon anime, something that this character has been striving to achieve since the beginning, since the 90s, literally. And I gotta say, I watched the scene where he was fighting Leon. It was awesome. It was was hype. That was an amazing (laughs) fight. And the callbacks... There was yes. there was a couple specific callbacks that genuinely almost brought a tear to my eye. Uh, yeah, there was, really well done, yeah. like extraordinarily well done. Yeah, they they knew how important that moment was for the yes. history of not just the show but the IP because the right. show, the anime, has been a massive part of like it's not just been the games and there's you know the show has just been this little companion piece to the franchise the entire time the show has been a focal point and a big reason for for the franchise's enduring popularity ash and pikachu that's one of the reasons that pikachu is the most recognizable video game character or one of the most recognizable video game characters on the planet that's the reason we got pokemon yellow that show Mm -hmm. is iconic it's broken guinness world records and 25 years, an actual quarter century after the show started. Ash has finally made good on the promise set forth in the original opening theme to be the best like no one ever was. Finally is. It just, it was such a great moment. I watched it several times. Congratulations, Satoshi. Can't wait to see the English dub. Uh, But yeah, that was, that was so great. And I was glad to see it handled with the reverence and care that it needed to. Yeah, really cool. So big congrats. But that was only really the tip of the iceberg. We got uh, actually a couple, just since we've last chatted with Mm -hmm. y'all, a couple of new Pokemon Scarlet and Violet trailers. Um, One of them was kind of a, I don't know if they're considering it the final, it honestly... Maybe it's not the final trailer. Maybe we'll get another one next week for all I know. Even though the game at this point is coming out next week. I wouldn't be shocked if we got another trailer. Why not? Comes out in less than a week. <laughs> Why not? Give us more content to consume. Why yeah, not? sure. Why not? So we got this trailer that was kind of an overview trailer set to Ed Sheeran's Celestial song, which is like, all right, all right, cool. <laughs> um, and there wasn't a whole lot of new information, although mm-hmm. um, there was a tease in there of these two Pokemon, uh, Great Tusk and Iron Treads. Which I which, can't um, imagine is the actual name of them. They're just trying to be, I guess, a little mysterious because the legendary Pokemon, Miraidon and... Uh, uh, Kiraidon. Cor- yeah. Or Coridon. Coridon yeah, and Miraidon. Well, like they're so front and center with everything going on in the game that they need to have some, you know, some legendary, some mystery, some really interesting, unique, ubiquitous uh, Pokemon mm-hmm. to go after. And I don't know if these are going to be them, but I, they, they are 
trying to at least add a little bit of hype and and mystery to the background of Scarlet and Violet. So I <laughs> cool. I, they look like steel. One of them looks like an ice ground. One of them looks like maybe a steel dragon. I don't know. Yeah. Well, here's here's my theory about Lockleth in the chat says it should have been Post Malone's Pokemon song instead. Yeah, I could have been Hootie and the Blowfish. I would have been better. That was so than, uh, weird. <laughs> so that, that would have been kind of funny. But um, my theory on this is, you know, something that we talked about a lot when the game was first revealed and something I think a lot of people have sort of lost sight on as we've gotten close uh, closer to the game's release is this past and future theming that the game has, the game clearly has, and Great Tusk and Iron Treads, I think, plays into that. Because you see Iron Treads kind of looks like a digitized, like, kind of reminds me of Miraidon a little bit in that way. And then Great Tusk is very clearly this kind of ancient-looking Pokemon. So... I almost wonder, and I don't think those are the names either, but I almost wonder if this is like kind of these these new legendaries that are playing into that past and future theming. And I wonder if this implies that there are going to be multiple past and future themed legendaries in the game. It might even be the it, it might even be the version exclusives, like Scarlet gets Great Tusk and Violet gets Iron Treads. Oh, I, I so. absolutely imagine that's going to happen. When you do yeah. something like this, when you do two Pokemon who are so clearly mirrors of each other, then typically that's what it is, is they are version exclusive, especially when you're yeah. talking about a Pokemon that they are trying to make as notable. They're trying to present as notable as, the, as these two are. That's that was kind of obvious to me that these were going to be version exclusives that you wouldn't be able to get uh, both of them in either one game. But yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm there's so many legendaries out there that it is kind of hard to really drum up hype. I feel like when it comes to new legendaries, new mythicals. So I do. uh, I don't know. I think Pokemon needs to do something stronger than this, we are here talking about it because it's a new Pokemon game. But if I'm being completely honest, I was a little bit more than meh about it. I wasn't like, oh my God, I can't wait to add those two to my team. It was no, just, yeah, me either. It we, was just new it was Pokemon. Just a tease. To be completely yeah, honest, to be completely honest, I was actually more interested in the other Pokemon that they released too. this week. Because... Yes. So... Pokemon now has a mimic. Pokemon has a mimic. That's what makes me happy about this. So y'all know, I was a little bit soft on Grievard, the first ghost type from this generation that I thought it was a very cute Pokemon, but didn't really feel like a ghost type to me. Gimme Ghoul does. Um, And and again, like Grievard's cute. Gimme Ghoul's not cute. He's just a weird little goblin guy that is, he's Pokemon's mimic. I mean, like, that's what I love about this is that Pokemon is a is a now, you know, almost 30 years old <laughs> JRPG franchise, and it only is just now finally getting a mimic. And that's a you know a, a classic JRPG trope. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, it finally has one in the form of Gimme Ghoul. I love him. I just I think too. he's like this weird little guy, and I'm and and to me, a stronger ghost type representative than than Grievart. It, again, like Grievart, I'm looking for if he does if you're right, if he does have an evolution, I'm looking forward to seeing it. But um, but Gimme Ghoul to me that this is more in line with what I was looking for. 
Now, I love this more traditional representation of the Mimic. For those out there who don't know, a Mimic in JRPGs has always been a monster that lures in prey by pretending to be a treasure chest or by pretending Mm -hmm. to be a piece of treasure. And in all fairness, Pokemon has always had that in the form of Voltorb and Electrode. Because especially going back to the True. first game, you would like all the items would show up on the ground on the world map as Pokeballs. And then occasionally right. in a couple areas, it turns out they weren't items. They were indeed Pokemon. So Pokemon has always kind of technically had its own version of the mimic. But I am really True. excited to see this more traditional interpretation of this kind of legendary cliche granted but it's still really nice to see this classic JRPG trope done in, you know, the Pokemon style. Yeah. The Pokedex entry is lame. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it's like, oh, he possesses you and makes you collect coins. It's like, well, that's dumb. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, but, like, that's like, whatever. That's stupid. Uh, Lockleth in the chat says, but Grievard is a good boy. Grievard is a good boy. Is I'm it? not taking anything away from Grievard. Gr- um, uh, good boy. It, is he a good boy? Because he siphoned your... I think there was an actual murder in Grievard's trailer. Does that make him a we, good boy? Yeah, we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe a bad boy. I don't know, but um, but yes, g- Gimme Ghoul. I I'm yeah, I'm excited about Gimme Ghoul. Is it going to be on my team? I don't know. We'll see. There's going to be so many new Pokemon, and also just as a PSA to everybody out there, um, the game is uh all over the internet with leaks. Yeah. So be careful out there. Uh, if you want to stay unspoiled, um, you know maybe mute some words on Twitter. We are not going um, to be talking about the leaks. We're not going to be talking no, about any of the content. No. I am specifically trying to do everything in my power to avoid them. The game comes Same. out next week. I mean, we're going to we're going to see everything here soon anyway. I don't yeah, even, just wait. I don't even see the point of leaks, you know, this close no. to the game's coming out. So Just wait. It's going to come out in, you know, at this point less than a week. Just chill. You're about to play the game. Yeah. You're going to see it for yourself. Just just relax. Have have just a little bit of restraint maybe and have maybe maybe just a modicum of genuine surprise when the game comes out. How about that? <laughs> so, but just a PSA. If you if you want to remain unspoiled, if you look, if you want to go and seek out the leaks, they're out there. That's your prerogative. Have fun. Whatever. I don't care. But if you want to remain unspoiled, just take your due diligence. PSA. Yeah. Stay off the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Just go media blackout until Pokemon. (laughs) By the time we get around to next Wednesday or next Thursday, that might be what it takes. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm so happy. But if they've, they finally added another Pokemon into the franchise that uh, clearly needs to have payday in its moveset. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that's true. Payday probably does need to be in its moveset. (laughs) But yeah, big, big week for Pokemon. It was very interesting that they decided to release the episode of Ash becoming world champion the week before a brand new generation of Pokemon games is released. I wonder how much of that was actually planned, because if it was, that is top tier marketing right there. Dude, Pokemon is a well-oiled machine. I'm sure it was 1,000% planned. And now the question is, what is Ash going to do in the Paldea region? Or is it going to be Ash anymore at all? I mean, that's... That's the questions now that need to be answered by the Pokemon anime. They've put themselves in an interesting, tantalizing position. And yeah, it's brilliant marketing. Pokemon is where it is because of brilliant marketing. Yeah. You know? Now Ash gets to be a 10-year-old veteran, a, a 10-year-old mentor, <laughs> a 10-year-old yeah. wizened master. That's right. <laughs> so we'll see. But Pokemon comes out next week, Eric, and we're, we're certainly looking forward to it. But there is a lot of games that came out this week. So, so, so many games. 
So How about we so hit these games? notable releases? Sounds good. Let's hit these notable releases. Very quickly, we've already talked about the three shadow drops from this past week's Indie yep. World Direct. We've got Rogue Legacy 2. We've got Once Upon a Jester, which again, we will be talking about in much more detail here in just a few minutes. And the other one was... A little to the left. A little to the left. That is right. So if you want to check out a little to the left, there's no demo. But again, Seth did play the demo for Steam. So if you want to check that out on our YouTube channel, you can. Before you pick up the game, uh, if you want to pick up or if you want to check out his video on Rogue Legacy, that's also up before you pick up the game. And if you want to give it just a couple seconds, if you're listening to the podcast, we will be talking about the other shadow drop momentarily. So regardless of the shadow drop you're interested in, we got you covered this week. That's right. That's right. We uh, we talked uh, a bit about Sonic Frontiers earlier. So we, uh, we, we have that review coming in short order on the show. So look forward to that. Um, we have talked about Atari 50 a lot leading oh. up to the release this week. And I'm excited to finally Steven. crack into that. Yeah, we had Steven Frost on the show uh, talking about that and the Cowabunga collection. Just another, by all accounts, uh, another masterful job from uh, from Digital Eclipse. It's from from all accounts sounds like the new gold standard yeah. for retro collections. Yeah, so <laughs> very yeah. very uh, apt uh, box art with the black and gold motif there. That's right. That's right. So I'm looking forward to digging into that. Oh, me too. Uh, Tactics Ogre Reborn yes! came out. This week, the uh, the sort of remake unite, yeah, yeah, the the remake of uh, of that original Tactics Ogre game, and um, I know a lot of people are excited for this one. I'm probably gonna pass on it. I just I I don't have time for it. You know, it's as simple as that. But um, but I know people are very excited for this one. Yeah, uh, another this one kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people, but a very notable release nonetheless. We finally got Sifu on the yeah. Nintendo Switch. That really interesting beat-em-up uh, game where you actually get older as you continue to fail more and more. I would be an old man so quickly in that game. Yeah, me too. It's from, uh, I believe that's from Slow Clap, the uh, developers of Absolver, which uh, actually my cousin's a massive fan of this developer. And um, and Sifu looks really good. And apparently the Switch port is pretty solid from what I've heard. So um, I'd be interested in checking it out. I would. Again, so much to play. Um we mentioned Lunastis earlier. Uh, Lunastis, a really cool low-poly 3D platformer. Demo available. Full game's only five bucks. And um, very, very worth your time to check out. But Eric, I know there's a release this week that you're very excited about. I, there's, I'm, I'm really torn. I really am. Because I'm so glad it's out. But I'm waiting for the physical and I have no clue when that's coming. We're talking yeah. about the release of uh, the Neo Geo Pocket Color Selection Volume Two from SNK. I'm, you know, I'm a massive SNK fanboy because they do a ton of fighting games: Fatal Fury, King of Fighters, Art of Fighting, and and several other Samurai Showdown. But uh, I'm I adore the Neo Geo Pocket Color Selection Volume One, and I'm so glad that these old games. Yeah, one of the biggest reasons that I'm excited for it is the preservation of these old games. There's a lot of quality titles here that have never really had a shot and were had had a really big uh, were in danger of basically just being lost to time. But here we are, thankfully, in 2022, and much of the consoles library, I think of which there were ultimately only 80 some odd games. 
in the entire history of the Neo Geo Pocket Color, but we've already got a couple dozen available now on the Nintendo Switch, both as individual purchases and through these collections as well. So I'm very glad that SNK is finding a way to preserve they're all of their amazing games from the Neo Geo and the Neo Geo Pocket Color on the Nintendo Switch. I can't wait for the physical to come out. I I'm, I don't want to double dip. I really don't. But there's some titles <laughs> on there I really want to sink my teeth into. So I'm stay su- strong. Stay strong, super Eric. Super excited that it's out. It's forty dollars for ten classic games, including a card battler game, a Capcom versus SNK card battler game, which was initially released as two separate titles where you could collect different cards depending on the, uh, depending on the company, depending on which version you got. But for this collection and for the individual purchased version on the Nintendo switch, they released it as a single uh, cohesive game. So you can just play it as one version. You can collect all the cards in just this one version of the game rather than play two separate titles. Nice. Yeah. There's too many. There's too many many games, dude. Way too too many many games. games. There's way too many games. But the second that physical becomes available, I'm all over that. Yes, please. I'll take 10. There is actually, God, there's so much. Uh, And, you know, we've been playing Bayonetta, Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope, Sonic Frontiers, all of this other stuff that we've been playing. But what about you guys? What are you guys playing? Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at All In Podcast. Reach out to us. Uh, Join the conversation over on Discord. We would love to have you if you're not a member of our Discord community. Why not? You don't have a good answer. I know. So quit trying to make up excuses. Join our Discord server. We would love to have you over there. We have a genuinely amazing community. So many awesome, genuinely awesome people as part of a community. That is something we are very proud of is the community that we have cultivated here over at All In. If you want a nice, positive, inclusive uh inspiring discord community to be a part of there are a few better than the all-in discord that's a guarantee straight from all in eric join the discord and you should also follow us on youtube because turns out we put a lot of content out on youtube like i said seth put out videos for storyteller put out videos for rogue legacy put out videos for a lot of the games that we've played recently but in addition to that we also do these little news broadcasts every friday night at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific and you should definitely check those out if you are doing that right now a thank you very much and b you should continue to do that but what if for whatever reason you're you're unable to you can't do it if you think you have better things to do on a friday night a you don't uh <laughs> but if you think you do then whatever. We still have All In a Nintendo Podcast, the podcast, which you can like, follow, and subscribe to wherever you get all of your podcasts from. We are we, we have completely taken over the podcast landscape. Whatever podcast service you listen to podcasts on, we are there just slowly, like a virus, just slowly taking over every podcast service on the internet. <laughs> but, you know... Viruses need to eat. Viruses need sustenance. And the way that we are able to continue to virally spread our message across the internet is because of viewers like you, PBS. But no, genuinely, (laughs) our patrons are some of the most legendary people on the internet. And you should really consider becoming one. 
Yes, you should continue to let this virus grow exactly. over on patreon.com slash all in podcast. We've got three uh, tiers of support over there. Head on over there and see what works for you. Things like shout outs two exclusive weekly podcasts that we produce over there uh, and so much more voting rights on content, early access, things like keep Nintendo weird. There'll be a new episode of that going live next week. So be on the lookout for that. Patrons will get early access to that shout outs here on the shows. And so, so much more are Patrons are absolutely amazing. We thank you all so much for your continued love and support. But Eric, if you don't have any ways to feed the virus there, there is a free way that you can feed this virus. Did you know that? I have nothing clever to say for this. How can they support us for free? Set? <laughs> yeah, it is. There are only so many places you could take this virus metaphor. Yeah. Um, you can drop some words over on Podchaser, on Apple Podcasts, and on Audible. You can leave us five-star written reviews that will be shouted out here on the show. If you leave them, we super duper appreciate those. And then on Spotify, you can leave uh, five-star ratings. And while you can't leave words there, we appreciate those too. Yes, we very uh, much a- appreciate the two that did it this past week thank you yes thank you again we we deeply appreciate that it is just a, a super easy and free way to support this show and, and help us get in front of people who need to see it and uh yeah thank you so much for doing that yeah however you guys choose to support us if you just hang out with us every week if you drop some words if you rate us if you're patrons however you help spread the virus <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you. You know, the virus that is all in. We're a good virus. We're a virus that you want to catch. We're something that you want <laughs> to be infected with. We're, we're, we are there a good type. We, we, are the, we are the most wonderful disease you will ever catch in your entire life. <laughs> we promise. Uh, Just to put that on a shirt, man. <laughs> we are going to be doing merch soon, hopefully. So we will definitely check it out. And, you know, if you buy that merch... Awesome. Just another way to help support the show. However you choose to support Seth and I here at All In, thank you. Genuinely, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Namaste. Namaste indeed, Eric. And, you know, it's funny. Speaking of the Indie World Showcase and speaking of uh, Once Upon a Jester, as it turns out, you and I, you know, we mentioned earlier it was Shadow Dropped. During the showcase, of course. And you and I said, you know what? Let's pick this up. It looks cute. It looks charming. And we did pick it up. We both played through it. And we found it to be pretty pretty snickdoodle, as it turns (laughs) out. Pretty (laughs) speckdoodle. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Once Upon a Jester wound up being one of the most memorable announcements of the show for a couple reasons. They presented it beautifully in this indie world. And, of course, the fact that it shadow dropped meant that you know it really caught the eye of seth and myself and we just were like you know what there's just clearly so much heart put into this project just from how they advertised it in the indie world let's check it out and sure enough we absolutely fell in love with this little improvisational gym so much so that we knew we had to feature it this week in our indie showcase but obviously because we uh decided to have once upon a jester as our indie showcase this week we didn't talk about it too much when we were going over the the rest of the indie world showcase but the the way they announced this game was just so so interesting the trailer itself was actually sung they came up with a song uh, that's in the game, but they use that for the trailer and it really helped the trailer stand out. And then of course, when they cut to the development team, which they did for several of the games in that, uh, instead of cutting directly to 
the the human developers when they cut to them they're actually finger puppets of uh the main character's just her in sock over a little punchinello stage and they just kind of immediately took that away but uh that was just another really cute touch and then at the screen where they have the title and the the release date they actually brought back the little finger puppets so it was this really adorable really great couple of touches that helped the game stand out to us and the fact that it was shadow dropped this past wednesday uh, i mean we we just kind of had to give it a shot yeah and i'm there, there's just so much heart in this game yeah um just right from the outset like seeing that that initial reveal and sort of being introduced to the game that way and then playing the the thing like on that same day and everything it was a really special experience and and again the game has got so much heart and charm and it it really does feel like the it feels like exactly what it is just a fun little project between four really good friends who are musicians this team Bontavond. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a team of like four independent musicians. And so they've created just this totally improvisational, wacky, silly, hilarious musical adventure. And it's great. It is really great. You play as mostly the character, the titular character, Jester and Jester's best friend forever, Sock, an actual Sock character. I don't really know yeah. how it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a it's literal a Sock, sock. Yeah. It's a sock puppet. And these two characters are kind of running a racket. They're kind of ne'er-do-wells, ruffians even, dirty, low-down, stinking thieves, mm-hmm. one might say. And Princess Kirstina comes to Dorktown. I'm sorry, Dorptown. <laughs> and uh, announces a competition for the best theater troupe to perform at the castle in this vast, massive theater uh, castle extravaganza. And Sock and Jester know that they keep an incredibly valuable, incredibly large diamond, so much so that when the game is actually uh, describing the diamond in the castle, the, the narration itself kind of goes off the rails a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, it, it like is this big blown out, like the audio is all blown out. You yeah. can tell the person's like yelling into the microphone about the diamond gem. Uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> but Sock and Jester decide that they are going to create their own improvisational theater troupe, win this competition, and get their sneaky little hands into the castle to steal the diamond for themselves. And you wind up going from town to town, putting on shows and winning the adulation, uh, the adulation of your new fans to get enough prestige, <laughs> to get enough flower bouquets so that you win, so that you can perform at the castle. And the way that everything just, the, the way that everything just unfolds is wonderful and hysterical and random and bizarre and just like just the improvisational aspect is a massive theme that runs throughout the entire game and the narrative is a big part of it because it honestly the narrative itself honestly just feels like these four guys were sitting in a room they were trying to write the game story they just kept saying and then and then went with the first choice some of the things that happen in the game are the absolute definition 
of random. There's few games. I'm not making this up. There's few games I would honestly have want to have sat in on the production meeting for than the story writing for this game, just to see what kind of off the wall stuff was going on in this writer's room. It's it's that random and improvisational. Yeah, it you know, it has the most basic like setup imaginable. Just like these two guys have this, you know, kind of plot to steal this thing and then it's like it's the the classic like it's the friends you made along the way sort of story. Yeah. It's like the, you know, change of heart kind of thing happens pretty Which early on. I know on. you're a big sucker for. Sure, yeah. I I I'm a sucker for stuff. I do think that this game actually has a little bit more to say in that regard than I was expecting. Like you and I think a lot of that is because you come to love these characters really quickly and really easily. Like there's something about and and I know you used this word to describe it when we were chatting about it. This this yeah. earnestness about the entire game because and they even said as much like in the indie world showcase they're like, "Look, what you're hearing, these are just our first takes on the lines yep. and like you'll that comes through like in the read in like hilarious ways. Like there'll be characters that just completely botch the line and they're just <laughs> like, "You know what? Like whatever, we're leaving it in there." Like they'll mispronounce it or they'll laugh the way through the line or something like that. And it's just still in the game. And so the entire thing, it's just these friends having fun together and it's infectious. You like you can't help but fall in love with those people. Yeah, there's some things that you you can kind of see the jank and the lack of, you know, a perfect pristine sheen on everything that's going on. But it's so obvious with every step you take and every line that's delivered, how much fun and how much heart was put in to this project that you can't help but love it. There are some things that while they may not be AAA projects, you can just tell the passion and the genuine enjoyment that the people making this product got out of it. And that winds up, you know, coming off on the people who play the game. I had a smile on my face from start to finish. I love so much of what they did with this game. The the, the performances, because almost every line in the game is performed. There's voice acting throughout the entire thing from all mm -hmm. these several dozen characters that you wind up meeting throughout this, this uh, journey. And the way they played them is so ridiculous and so off the wall. Some like the mayor in the first town is He's such my a favorite. He's is my such favorite. a standout. Just the way they played these characters is amazing. And it's so great. Something that, as good as the writing is in the game, something that could not possibly have been translated through text alone. The performance and the lovingly crafted mistake-riddled dialogue that's delivered in this game is just perfect in its own weird uh, improvisational way. In like, I'm so, and I, and I was thinking about this as I was playing, I'm like, I'm so glad that this isn't all done by like professional voice actors. Exactly. Like yeah. that's, that is, that would be completely, you know, against the grain. That'd be completely antithetical to what this game is, is doing. Like, I'm so glad that you're not bumping into like Troy Baker or something. Yeah. And like, it's, it's funny too, because whenever they do kind of flirt with that, they had like. Uh, like Carl Jacobs, the YouTuber and Corpse Husband, they have like little voice roles in here. And like, it kind of feels weird when you encounter them because they seem just a little bit like cleaner than the other ones. And they, yeah. they kind of poke fun at that too. Um, 
Yeah, I was saying earlier, like when when they introduce the concept of the diamond that they want to steal, and like you can just tell, like the person was <laughs> yelling into the hear mic, the mic and cracking. <laughs> you, you can hear it clipping, and it's just like it's very just raw and genuine, and like yeah, you just feel like you're hanging out with these people, and it kind of plays into something that you know they tackle in the story. I mean, this is a story about two best friends who finally found their calling together, and. Like, they finally kind of found their place and what they love. And, like, that's something that I can kind of relate to. Like, as somebody who struggled, like, most of my life trying to find podcasting, which is now, like, what I love to do and especially doing it with one of my best friends, like, that's something that I relate to, you know? And so I found, I was like, there's actually a little bit of, you know, in addition to the heart and the character here, like, there's there's a genuine, you know, I feel like I'm getting a little bit of a read into these people as people as well. And I really appreciated that. That's nice. I'll have to tell Sean that you think of him as one of your best <laughs> friends. That's, That's beautiful, man. Yeah. But, uh, but I, yeah, there, there's not too many other things that we could say. Where there's not too many things that we want to spoil. There are so many innumerable, memorable interactions that you're going to have with the characters in this game. A lot of them are optional. Talk to everybody. Uh, oh, every yeah. chance you get, talk to everybody. Before we started recording, Seth and I were just, for like honestly half an hour, we were just like, oh, do you remember this? Oh, man. And then this happened. Oh, you remember this? Just laughing our heads off, remembering so many of the different interesting, hilarious, memorable interactions we had with the NPCs throughout the entire course of the game from start to finish. It's 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 just great. It just doesn't stop. But that improvisational quality is a running theme throughout the entire game, not just from the narrative, not just from the line delivery, but it also bleeds into the gameplay. Yeah, because you are, as as Eric sort of mentioned earlier, as you're trying to uh, earn the passage into the royal theatrical spectacle, um, as you're trying to do that, you're, you're earning these bouquets. You can earn up to five per show that you throw on each night. And um, you do this in a couple of different ways. There are a couple of different factors that go into it from um, having to kind of like scope out the town and Mm -hmm. find out what the people in the town are wanting to see that night, which is a little bit obtuse. Like you basically just see icons floating above their heads and you try to kind of piece together, oh, they want to see a romantic play tonight or they want to see a musical play tonight or whatever. Um, And then you set up a poster using stickers that you can unlock throughout the course of the game. And a lot of the stickers are unlocked uh, in the shows themselves, but but also in interacting with the NPCs, like Eric was talking about. Like, you you really, you must interact with everything and everybody in this game. Like, yeah. you are doing yourself a massive disservice if you don't. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the whole, the, this is one of those things where the journey is the reward. It's great to right. collect the stickers for a kind of video gamey completionist standpoint but honestly a lot of these a lot of the interactions and a lot of the the dialogue and the jokes that you'll find off the beaten path are worth it just for the sake of being able to experience them it's great to get the stickers and it's great to be able to collect that video gamey stuff but even if they weren't there i would have very happily sought out every npc every day to find out exactly what bonkers thing was going to happen with them that day yeah, and and like and and then it really it all kind of comes to a head when you do the shows themselves because mm-hmm. you remember how just last week I was saying that I wished somebody would steal Oxenfree's dialogue system 
<laughs> Once Upon a Jester kind of does. Kind of, um, yeah. It's very similar, in, not only in the way that it's laid out, but the, the way that it is timing-based. So when you're making decisions there on stage, the people in the crowd are not just going to wait for you to do it. There's a little timer going down, and you can very easily fail if you don't select something quickly enough. And yeah, it just creates this feeling of figuring it out on stage with your best friend, choosing the that you'll have little icons to denote like which kind of style of direction that you're taking it in, if it's going to be musical, if it's going to be scary, or if it's going to be action-packed or whatever. And you're basically up there just trying to, um, just trying to take the the performance in the direction that you think the crowd wants to see. That's that's basically the structure of it. And then try and doing these kind of like little mini challenges to make it work on the fly. Yeah, you'll wind up being given choices throughout the entire course of these little five minute performances or whatever that can steer the performance in several different ways. And when you add up all these different choices, there's actually a lot of a lot of variables and a lot of different branching paths that each individual performance can take throughout the course of the game. You only have access throughout most of the title of, you know, uh, about three kind of core ideas, but the amount of variety that you can get from each one, you'll wind up doing the same three kind of core ideas, but you keep wind up, you keep doing them in such interesting and different ways that it never feels old. Uh, uh, there's one about a statue and I probably created seven or eight different statues throughout the course of the playthrough. (laughs) Yeah. Just, you know, reading the crowd and trying to figure out what they want, but also having some fun with it. Because in addition to the choices that you make, there's a lot of micro games thrown in there as well. There are actions that you Uh, need to perform and in order to do this there's a little 180 degree kind of meter that keeps going back and forth Uh, for those people who've played like sports titles or whatever it'll Mm -hmm. be it's kind of something similar like that it's just a, a a needle that goes back and forth but the amount of variety that they get out of that one little mechanism uh they get quite a bit of variety out of that so uh, there's like seven or eight different micro games in the in the title that you can perform to to pass or fail at these different little choices that you'll make throughout the performance. And passing them or failing them can also create different branching paths in addition to affecting your performance rating with uh, with the uh, <laughs> with the audience. So there's a lot of different stuff that can happen in these performances and finding the different endpoints for the different improvisational trees in itself is hilarious. There are some things in this game that go completely out of left field. And you're like, what am I even watching right now? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it kind of taps into not only the improvisational nature of it that, that the game is going for, but it taps into the feeling of like when you're creating something, you kind of feel like you go into this other place you know, and like they, they kind of are creating the theater of the mind, you know, like there's a moment where, where Jester is like becoming a Phoenix, you know, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and like he's flapping his wings, but at the end of it, it sends out like a solar flare and socks just like, wow, that's not actually happening. Like that's, that just <laughs> is the strength of the theater of the mind in that moment. You've convinced those people that that's what Jester was doing, you know? And I think that's great. <laughs> Well, there, there's certainly a lot of moments like that. Although I will admit, 
I do wish there was, even as brief as an experience as this is, this game is only going to take you four or five hours to complete, I think. If for that, most yeah. people, if mm-hmm. that. But I do wish there was just a little bit more variety because there were a couple, especially toward the beginning, when you're trying to find different paths at the end, you do wind up seeing some of the earlier paths in these performances several times. Sure, so, yeah. I do wish there was just a tad more variety, maybe just one extra show, one extra core show to uh, to bounce off of. But that's that's kind of a nitpicky complaint, because considering that you can take any of these shows, in addition to all the different bizarre uh, amalgamations of theme based choices that you can make uh, each uh, theme. There are five themes in the game that you can kind of go for with each of your performances. Horror, drama, romance, musical, or action. And each of the choices that you'll make in the performance is catered to one of those five themes. But in addition to kind of taking your play, your performance in one of those specific directions, sometimes you can just make up a, a weird amalgamated thing where one scene you're trying to slay the dragon and the next you're flirting with the dragon. So, <laughs> yeah. So who knows? Just do whatever you want. The game, but the, the game very, very much encourages that you can try to get as much adulation as you can to get to the next stage of the game. But honestly, I would, I would honestly recommend not trying to get five-star performances each time. Just have fun with it. Do whatever you want with it. You're going to get there eventually, but the game was built just to have fun. Yeah, and the game gives you a lot of room to improvise, have fun, and make your own comedy. Like, there are several moments in the game where they just kind of, like, give you that little bit of extra leash just to see what you'll do with it. You know, mm-hmm. and and again, there's all this stuff off the beaten path that like there are little tiny things like little setups that happen at the beginning of the game that pay off like way later. And, you know, little stuff like that is just amazing. Like you can just tell again, just the, the sense of fun just comes throughout every single part of this game. And I will admit, I when it comes to comedy performances like this, if if I were watching a movie or maybe a stand-up performance with this style of comedy, I may not enjoy it as much because some of it can be really weird and some of it can be very dry. And But for some reason, when you put it in this interactive context, I just, I had a blast. I thought it was, I thought almost all of it landed. I thought it was great. Again, just the earnestness of the performances really comes through. But still, it is very, very much a comedy and as such, there are a couple people that the comedy and jokes may not land with. Sure, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, this is this is right up my alley. Like, this is just the the exact kind of comedy I like. I um like I'm a huge. I've talked about Nirvana, the band, the show. Like, I I love just when you can when you can tell that it's just like two friends making each other laugh to include like little inside jokes like Dustbees. Like, Dustbees. <laughs> if you're a Flight of the Concords fan, this might right. be your favorite Switch game. Yeah, like it's it's that kind of thing where it's just two lifelong friends making each other laugh. Like that is the game, and they don't care if you know the inside joke or not. Like. That is just so much of the charm and heart of this game. And um, you also... 
Yeah, my lord, my lord. It's, it's so good. Like I just, I love that stuff. I eat that stuff up. And to that end, like you really are doing yourself a disservice if you don't talk to everybody because you don't know if you're going to talk to somebody and they're just going to burst into song or if yeah. there's going to be some amazing like character moment that'll pay off way later. Like you, you know, there, there's so much here that like it encourages you and makes you want to explore every single piece of it. Yeah. Well, speaking of bursting into song, there's another reason that this game is right up Seth's alley. It turns out the song, the way they advertised Once Upon a Jester in the Indie World Showcase wasn't just an isolated incident. The music of this game is a very strong part of its identity. Yeah. Yeah. And the music's great. Um, Bonte Vond is, again, they're, they're musicians and the, the music feels improvisational as well. A lot a of the lot time. Of it. Yes, it does. Um, which is, <laughs> which is super fun. But this game also, you know, another game that this, that this game reminds me quite a bit of is Wander Song. Yep. Um, yep. And, and yep. the, the musical moments in this game remind me a lot of Wander Song because something that, you know, Greg talked to us about when we had him on episode one talking about Wander Song is the way that music can really accentuate the emotions. And I think this game has got a couple of really beautiful moments in it um, with its music, like these little musical moments that are very and, you know, sometimes it's silly, like uh, like, you know, oh, the mayor oh. singing about his long lost love, yep. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But sometimes it's really heartfelt and, and quite beautiful about how everybody can be a good person and, you know, and, and the, you know, talking about their friendship and stuff like it's it's just a sweet game. It's just a good hearted game. A lot of the time you are going to be your, your sides are going to be splitting with laughter. But then occasionally characters will be like, you know what? I'm really glad we did this. You know what? I'm really glad too. And then they start singing a genuinely nice song. And I'm like game why are you making me feel my own feelings <laughs> yeah it's great it's really great and and like another interesting thing that this game does and this is this just speaks to the core of the gameplay is there will be moments when characters are having their like kind of musical moment and then jester will just join in and something that the game has trained you to do is like you were talking about how it has that kind of like radial almost yep. sports game thing. The game has at that point trained you to like press and hold in certain areas. And so sometimes they'll just have the entire field will be pressable and you can just kind of play with it as you see fit. Jester will whip out his flute or a violin or something like that. And you can just improv and, then you can and get play really along. really improvisational. Yeah. It's super cool and like super well done. And they, they managed to make it sound good. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I was really impressed and I, I, I kind of found myself getting into a groove with it and I was kind of like wishing that the songs would go on longer. <laughs> and one valuable thing that I definitely learned, I already knew this, but this game definitely solidified it for me when it comes to those improvisational solo moments that you get with Jester. I found out beyond any reasonable doubt that I should absolutely 100% never become a musician myself. <laughs> oh, really? You weren't able to do it? I real like I feel like I'm on the beat. I really do. I'm fairly good at rhythm games. I can get high scores. But when playing the music during those things, I'm like, is that is 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 that are those sounds? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> What is that noise? What's coming out of me right now? That's funny. 
I don't know. I maybe maybe it's because I play music. I, I don't know. I felt like it was very intuitive. I was like, this sounds good. I just wanted to keep going. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, how am I so far off the beat? It feels like I'm but that's just that's just me and my my failings as a human being. <laughs> yeah. The, this game though, it just I mean, like, it's got so much heart, man. Every every piece from the music to the characters to like the the raw one take voice acting. Yeah. You know, it's all in here. It's just so this is like the most fun I've had you know, with, with an indie game, just like, I really just felt like I was sitting in with a couple of friends and getting just a little piece of their, their genuine soul in this game, you know, and playing through it. It was hard to look at the game objectively just because I was having so much fun with it, but looking at the game objectively, if they do wind up patching some stuff in, or if they do wind up doing a sequel, which I would be yes, please here for. Yes. Uh, I would like them to do a couple of things. Some of the interactions can be a little janky, just a tad janky. I would really like to add, at, at least add a power walk button, if not an outright run button. Yeah, Jester's like standard move speed is like a little slow, but yeah. And I do want to let you guys know that this is not a difficult game, but there are actually three difficulties you can choose from. Uh, They have chill difficulty, normal, and nightmare difficulty if, for whatever reason, you wanted this game to be incredibly difficult and wanted to get one-star performances each time. But oddly enough, the whole reason I'm bringing up the options really is just to let you guys know, this is the only game that I think I've seen this in on the Nintendo Switch. But for whatever reason, the rumble is default to off. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. That, Yeah, that is weird. If you do wind up picking it up, you do wind up playing it, the rumble is default set to off, so you can turn that on. Although, (laughs) I actually wound up playing through the entire game with the rumble off, but Seth told me he didn't really notice a difference. No, yeah, so I always, whenever I boot up a game, the first thing I do is I look at the options, and I I noticed that was off. Yeah, I was like, I noticed this is off. It's kind of weird, but okay. You know, not a big deal. Um, Turned it on. And yeah, it's not really used to any real effect (laughs) that I could notice. Like I, you know, I didn't really notice too much. But yeah, that is something to keep in mind if you're somebody who's sensitive about, you know, wanting rumble in their game. So good PSA. (laughs) Yeah, good. But yeah, it's especially if you're looking for and I know this is a complete 180 from the indie showcases we've been doing for the past month and a half. But uh, I guess it was really time for us to do something not spooky. You know, as much as we love spooky season, I guess it was finally time for us to do something outside of that realm. And you can't really get too far outside that than just a pure laugh out loud comedy adventure like this. Yeah, it's just this good hearted, fun, funny game. It's $14.99. It's going to take you three, four, maybe five hours. It's quick. Like I played through it in one sitting. You know, yeah. like it's, and it really should probably be consumed that way. You know, it's just, it's just a really nice palate cleanser of a game and you'll come away from it maybe feeling just a little bit better about humanity. Just like, I'm, I'm just glad that people like this exist and that they make games like this. <laughs> but if you pick it up, let us know, let us know what your favorite insane moments uh, in the games are, what your favorite performance ending uh, epic finales were. <laughs> Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter, at All In Podcast. Join the conversation over on Discord. Join the conversation over on Discord. We would love to have you over there in our amazing community. 
but uh, I would definitely vote for this game for your weekend pleasure. And speaking of voting, I hope everybody got out and voted, everybody who is of age. I know we have a couple fans, a couple listeners who aren't quite of voting age yet, but all of you who are, I hope you got out to the polls, found a way to go and make your voice heard this past week during election day. There was a ton, a ton of very important races going on all across the United States. Uh, to all of our listeners outside the United States, don't worry. We're probably still going to be a dumpster fire. I apologize. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, don't worry about it. But, you know, to kind of bring light to the fact and to have a little bit of fun with election season, we decided to look inward and think about all the times that you could actually make your voice heard in Nintendo games. Yes, there are a lot of times throughout Nintendo history that players have been able to cast their votes and make their voice heard. And we are going to count down the best times you could do that this week in the top five. All right, Eric, the top five times in Nintendo history that we were able to cast our votes. What are the rules? Well, for this, we are talking about times in Nintendo histories where you, as a gamer, were given multiple options for whatever reason for a Nintendo title, and you decided to cast your vote against thousands or maybe even millions of others. We are not talking about times in Nintendo games where you were necessarily trying to sway the votes of anything a la the courtroom scene from Chrono Trigger. Right. And we are also not going to be talking about times where you made choices within a game based on the potential narrative ramifications of that game and just happened to see what other people around the world, what percentage of other people chose the same as you did, a la things like Life is Strange and the Telltale series. Right. We are talking about times when you were given a, a chance to make your voice heard and to make your Nintendo opinions known. We have some really, really good ones here for this week's top five. So let's go ahead and get into it. Let's get into it. Our number five, and this is probably the most kind of straightforward (laughs) example of what we're talking about, um, because our number five is what else but the Everybody Votes channel on the Nintendo (laughs) Wii. Hands up, hands up. Who remembers the Everybody Votes channel on the Nintendo Wii? Hands hands up, I see. You're all liars. (laughs) If you do, we can be friends. Um, I, yeah, the, I just loved on the, in the Wii, I just loved messing around with these little channels they had. And yeah. like and a weather channel. And- <laughs> in, in Japan, they had a Domino's pizza delivery channel, like just like dumb little things like this where you could just mess around. Like I just liked playing around in these channels and everybody votes is kind of low key brilliant because Everybody has opinions. Like everybody's opinionated. Everybody wants to answer questions like these. And you could just go in there and choose between multiple polls that were running at the time. And it was usually not even related to Nintendo stuff. It was usually, you know, pizza or pasta. Um, Have you ever seen a UFO? You know, stuff like that. Um, It's just like these very sort of casual kind of broad appeal questions that you would go in and vote for. You could see the results. You could predict results. Yeah, um, if you if you absolutely needed to gain a little bit of clout in your esoteric Nintendo Wii channels, you could also <laughs> predict the outcome of the votes in addition to casting your own vote if you needed some, some brownie points that way. It would actually show how quote-unquote tuned in you were to the rest of 
the world Nintendo Wii using audience. And you can also suggest questions for the Everybody Votes channel. Yeah, which is great. And then you could get very, like, the stats actually broke down by region, which was great. So you could, like, really get into the weeds of, like, where people were voting what option. And I just kind of love that. I just kind of love having access to this very esoteric and, like, in the weeds information. It was just fun. Like, I just, I didn't, I wasn't on there constantly, but just every now and then I would just be kind of, you know, zoned out on the Wii menu and I would just pop into the Everybody Votes channel. It was just fun. And like, <laughs> I, I kind of wish we still had something like that because there was zero stakes, you know, just something casual. I loved it, man. Bring it back. You know, we do kind of have something like that. There's a little bit more stakes involved, but we might talking about that here in a few minutes. That's right. But going into our number four, um, something that is quite a bit more recent um, and, and a very, I think, intense voting moment in gaming is the moments in Among Us when you have to vote somebody off the ship. <laughs> so... It you know, 2020 feels like a lifetime ago already, doesn't it? But yeah. for just, you know, for a little while in time, that game absolutely ruled the internet. It felt like every streamer, every YouTuber, every Twitch user was playing among us with their little inner circle. And it was amazing. There's a couple games like this that you can play if you only have access to the digital frontier and you don't really have too many IRL friends or don't see them too often these days. Trust me, we're also adults. We understand your pain. Mm -hmm. But if this is the only thing you have access to, it is a great, great way to get online with a bunch of friends and have some wonderfully betrayal-based fun. I'm still a big fan of doing the IRL, like Ultimate Werewolf-style stuff. But this is a great option because in addition to trying to find out who among us is the traitor, is the imposter, the game also makes it really interesting by giving you these different individual tasks you can perform. But of course, all of that is just wrapped up in trying to trying to decide which of your team members is the dirty betrayer. And if you are trying to lay the blame on other people, and of course the entire crux of the gameplay is every so often getting the opportunity to like your big brother or survivor, getting to be able to literally vote somebody off the ship, send them through the airlock and watch their lifeless corpse uh, float through the endless void of space. Yeah, and it's that moment. It's that it's the moment of like, oh, I need to hit the emergency button. I know who it is. I need yep. to convince everybody that it's this person is the imposter. I saw you yellow know. vent. Yellow vented. Right. Yeah. Or, or like you have to, as the imposter, lie to everybody to try to sway the vote because at the end of that, at the end of that time, either there's going to be no vote or people are going to vote for or against you. You know. And then like that moment happens. You're kicked out of the airlock, and there's that moment of tension. Were they the imposter or weren't they? Did we just send out? An innocent person into the void and um that that tension just the way that it accentuated and, and created this real place of like um friendship and camaraderie in a time when people couldn't gather in real life uh i think is so special and voting is really at the core of among us yeah that was such an obvious inclusion for the nintendo switch although mm -hmm. my lord do we need voice chat for that game yeah voice chat's really a must for among us 
Yeah, it really is. So if we could have anything for that game on the Switch platform, it would 1000% be voice chat. That makes that game so much more interesting. It really does. But it is still a great way. Uh, like it's like they've even made it free to play now, haven't they? Uh, I think so. I'm not. It's either that or it's extraordinarily cheap. Like yeah. on Switch, I think it's I like got it three five bucks. bucks. Or, yeah, five bucks. It's very cheap. So if you've got a couple friends, jump into it. it it's it's a heck of a good time. I absolutely recommend. Uh, th- then again, you know, when it comes to trying to deceive people in a playful manner, that's something maybe that says something a little bit about me that that's how, you know, I might enjoy <laughs> spending my free time. But I digress. But going into our number three, Seth, a few minutes ago, we kind of teased the idea of having something somewhat similar to the Everybody Votes channel on the Nintendo Switch. And in such a case, we do have a platform that allows millions of people to cast their vote for one of a couple different options. But in this case, the people also have to fight on the hill they've chosen and potentially die or get splatted on that hill. Our number three is Splatoon's Splatfests, which I hope everybody voted in for this weekend. Let your flag fly. Let your voices be heard. I am Team Fire. Yeah, so I'm Team Grass. Had to go Team Grass. I've always been, I've always typically gone with Grass Starters, so I got to go Team Grass on that one. But yes, hopefully everybody voted for the team that they will be playing for this weekend. And the, the different Splatfests throughout all three Splatoon games now have been kind of the backbone of the online experience for a lot of people. This is a, it's what the game really pushes as its big online presence now is the Splatfest. I mean, you can go in, you can do the Salmon Run, you can do normal Turf Wars or whatever, but they really put a massive focus on these hugely, hugely interactive Splatfests. Uh, the first couple games gave you two choices that you could vote on and then the two different sides would duke it out in uh, turf battles and in Splatfest battles. And now here in Splatoon 3, we have a third option, which has already made things a lot more interesting. I'm two for two already in my Splatfest teams. And I think uh, all of you listening may want to start taking my word for what team you should <laughs> choose. I'm just, just saying, just saying. Perfect run so far, completely unblemished. Uh, I I know I'm in tune with the, like the everybody votes channel. I am in tune with the Nintendo (laughs) fan base, Seth. You know, it's funny though, because it's actually shiver is two for two and shiver this time around is team grass. So we'll see, you know, I really thought that was such an obvious, you know, making shiver water, making fire or fry fire Mm -hmm. and then just defaulting big man to grass. I just thought that was, kind of obvious but you know they you know a little bit of swerve i respect that but we we even did a top five a little while ago about the top five splatfest ideas that they should absolutely use for splatoon 3 definitely go ahead and check that one out as well but there have been a ton of very memorable splatfest votes over the course of the past five six seven years now actually the game came out what 20 I think the first 15? one was 2013 or 14 for the first one. Yeah. It's been a long time. So it has, it's been a minute, but I, I think too, I mean, Splatfest has become such an, uh, an integral part of Splatoon and this is a, 
system of voting where not only does popularity factor into the final tally, but also you're kind of voting by playing the game too, which is kind of cool. And not only that, Splatoon takes it a step further, where for both Splatoon 1 and Splatoon 2, the final Splatfest wound up playing into the narrative of the franchise. So, like, your vote is literally shaping the story of Splatoon in a way. And I just think that's really neat. Well, I mean, that's the entire point of a vote, is to shape whatever it is you're voting on. Like that's, that's yeah. ultimately the entire purpose, right? You vote for one of multiple choices in hopes of making whatever you're voting on better, or at least more interesting in the case of video games. And the Splatfests have certainly done that for Splatoon. It's one of the reasons that they've, that, that Nintendo franchise has become so insanely popular. But going into our number two... You know, getting into the top two of a top five like this, you know you've got to have some big time voting. And there aren't too many bigger time votes than a ballot that was set out to the fans that wound up having a direct impact on arguably Nintendo's most hype game franchise across multiple installments. Our number two is the Smash Fighter Ballot. Yes, the Smash Brothers Fighter Ballot. They did this from April 1st, 2015 through October 3rd, 2015. Players were allowed to put in their vote and put in their ballot for characters for Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo 3DS and Wii U. Um, And of course, we never got the true results of this vote. Um, which is unfortunate. I kind of wish we knew the numbers. I would have loved to even just know how many people entered. Yeah, I really wish we knew how many actual votes were cast. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they came out and said like 5 million. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't shock me. It's probably more than that. Very possibly. Um, and, and yeah, obviously the, um, the, the person that the, the character that we wound up getting as the result of this, because they made it very clear to mention like, Hey, These are going to be realizable characters that we wind up, you know, it's going to be the number one realizable character um, who ended up being Bayonetta. Um, And we, of course, got Bayonetta as a downloadable character, downloadable fighter for that game. And Bayonetta, of course, and everybody carried over into Smash Ultimate. But then when we got to Smash Ultimate, it was revealed that actually there was a true winner of the Smash ballot. Just at the time, we didn't think it was a quote-unquote realizable character. (laughs) So the final character that we got for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, of course, very famously, was Sora from Kingdom Hearts. And after Sora's announcement, it was further announced that Sora was the true number one worldwide character character. chosen in the smash fighter ballot so we got at the very least that smash fighter ballot directly influenced the inclusion of bayonetta and sora so all you bayonetta mains and all you sora mains directly have this ballot to thank and just just think about that for a second after the characters that sakurai as the ultimate diplomat that he is after the characters that he was able to get into super smash brothers to actually have the wherewithal and the arrogance to say you know what we're just going to let you decide whoever you want let us know 
whoever you want. Sakura was like, I can probably get him. Yeah, and, and you have to imagine too, I mean, some of the other, you know, popular fan requested characters were characters like King K. Rule yep. and Ridley and Banjo Kazooie. Yep. And these other characters that did wind up getting into the game. So, I mean, again, we don't know the true, like, final results of the ballot, but I have to imagine that the ballot is actually the sort of catalyst for many of the characters that we have in Smash Ultimate, not just Bayonetta and Sora. Yeah, we know the direct result of Bayonetta and Sora. This is speculation, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if outside of a couple people like Terry who probably didn't get many votes at all because he was, for a <laughs> lot of people, a very niche, very obscure character, although I would have absolutely voted for Mr. Bogard. Uh, but outside of people like Terry and a couple others, I'm sure a lot of the characters that we wind up getting, a lot of the new characters we wind up getting in Smash Ultimate and as part of both Fighters Passes were at least somewhat influenced by the Fighters Ballot. So, you know... Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, the way it stands right now, is really the ultimate realization of this original idea. And a big part of that was came down to this huge worldwide massive vote. So for all of you yeah. who voted in that to get Smash Brothers to what it is today, thank you. Yep. Thank you for voting. And thank you to Mr. Sakurai for listening to that vote. Thank you and for forever. Sakurai. Yeah. Dear for everything, Lord, forever. man, go retire and have fun. <laughs> yes. But before we reveal our number one pick, I mean, what could possibly get bigger than that, right? Well, we do have a number one pick, but before we get to that, Eric, do we have some honorable mentions? We do. And I want to shout this out right here, right now, because when it comes to voting on DLC characters, there's actually an instance of that going on right now as this episode yes. is going live. The people over at 13 AM Games, aka the people behind Dawn of the Monsters, are currently running a poll to find out which of three characters you want to see as DLC, as upcoming DLC in Dawn of the Monsters. They've got three potential characters that you can choose from. Go over to their Twitter, their Facebook, their, their, their website. You have until midnight, November 15th, midnight Eastern Standard Time, to cast your vote for one of three separate monsters. So if you're a big fan of Dawn of the Monsters, I certainly am. I got the massive, super awesome double collector's edition from limited run when it got released with all the different four awesome little minifigs. Cause I'm a massive Kaiju nut. Uh, but you know, if you, if you're a fan of the game, go ahead and vote for the next playable character that's going on right now. Yes. That's so cool. That is. I, I love that. And, and that's something that's happened in a couple of different games. So when we were doing research for this, um, we found Dragon Ball Xenoverse two did another in their game, a DLC vote pack like they like the fans actually voted on the contents of the content city voting dlc pack so that's pretty cool in addition to that this was something that i didn't honestly know about until we were doing research for this but minecraft actually has yes. something akin to that as well yes the minecraft mob vote where every year um, they've been doing this for apparently a few years now. I was completely unaware of this. Um, and they sort of culminate at Minecon to reveal the winner. Um, they take a vote for monsters to be added to Minecraft. You typically get to choose between uh, between three 
mobs to be added to Minecraft. They they do that every year. So uh, if you're a big you know big Minecraft fan listening to this, you're probably like, well, yeah, duh. Yeah. But um, but yeah, this was news to me. <laughs> Uh, another thing kind of like that that happens within the Nintendo landscape is actually through Fire Emblem Heroes. Yeah, they did the um, the Fire Emblem Heroes Choose Your Legends uh, voting period where people were able to vote for characters that they wanted to see added to the game. For those who don't know, Fire Emblem Heroes is a mobile game that sort of the entire crux, just like we're actually kind of seeing in Fire Emblem Engage next year, um, is kind of getting old heroes from Fire Emblem history uh, to join your party. And people were able to vote on, and they actually had tens of thousands of people vote for this. In both men and women's divisions, the winner of the men's division vote to be added to the game was Krom from Fire Emblem Awakening. And then in the women's division, it was Tiki, also from Fire Emblem Awakening. So, makes sense, because that was kind of the game that, you know, propelled Fire Emblem into the popularity it is today. (laughs) But on a slightly more smaller scale, we also wanted to shout out the amazingly fun party game series, the Jackbox Party Pack, which has a few games, in my mind, most notably Fibbage where you have the ability to create answers, create options, people can then vote on. And if you have the most popular option, or if you're able to connive and trick the most people, you can wind up getting points based off how many people vote for your answer, your option, your creation, whatever, depending on the game. Yeah, and this is something that occurs in many Jackbox Party Pack games. And Quiplash is another great example. Yep. Um, where you come up with like funny little quips based on prompts and the entire group votes between two quips and the person that wins the, that wins the vote wins that quip. And um, yeah, Jackbox Party Pack does a lot of great things with voting. Yeah, I know we just came off of Extra Life this past weekend. Thank you again to everybody who gave. I've always found Jackbox to be a great extra life game especially when you're there for 25 hours and you've got a whole group of people this is a great way for an entire group of people especially if you're in the same room but if uh, a great way to get an entire large mass of humanity in on a single game that was actually really cool for extra life that was one of the games that was one of the first games we played in the carpool uh stream and i was actually able to play remotely yep because it was jackbox so i was actually able to play with them from from home so that that was a really cool experience yeah hugely underrated party game but seth it's time to get into our number one and boy do we have one for you guys yeah this is a very interesting one that like pretty much came to my mind immediately and if you know <laughs> you know um there was a moment in time there where believe it or not pokemon was the number one game on Twitch for a little period of time there. Twitch was absolutely enraptured with playing Pokemon. Not even sword and shield, not even scarlet and violet, not just like red and blue. So on February 12th, 2014, yeah, playing Pokemon red, it was the most popular thing on Twitch. They um, exploded. It was this like social experiment. This guy set up Pokemon red and had it set up to where people could enter and chat inputs to control what happened on the game. And this started off small, but quickly exploded as it kind of gained popularity on the internet. People started flooding in and very quickly, um, the creator of Twitch plays Pokemon, uh, wound up having 
to shift it from kind of a catch-all sort of enter in chat and the character does whatever is in chat to a voting system because that was the only way actual progress was going to be made. And it wound up winning a Guinness World Record for, quote, most participants on a single-player online video game, end quote, (laughs) uh, with 1,165,140 active participants, which is crazy. Just imagine that. Just imagine being in a room with 1.16 million people all surrounded around a single Game Boy, all saying, no, let me. Yeah, and what was interesting about the voting system for this was you could vote not only on actions, but you could actually sway the vote of anarchy versus democracy. So at a certain point, the creator said, okay, I'm going to let the people choose. So if people voted for anarchy, it went back to the old way where it was just commands all over the place. But if you voted democracy, it would go back to the voting system. So there was a vote to see if there would be a vote. And this is the thing that was going on constantly in Twitch Plays Pokemon. And they did wind up beating the game. And in fact, they wound up beating several of the Pokemon games in the ensuing years. But what was amazing about this was it created this sort of like culture around it. And this like people were creating lore and like little (laughs) tiny moments in Pokemon that are innocuous to the casual player. Like when you're choosing between the, what is it? The Amber and the Helix fossil. I think it's the, the Dome fossil. The dome fossil, yes. And um, and you're choosing between them in Pokemon, you know, red and blue. That's just an innocuous thing that you choose normally. But in Twitch Plays Pokemon, this was a massive event with over a million people. Some people trolling. Like, even just selecting yes or no could be a huge moment in this game. To the point where people were creating lore and, like, they ended up choosing the Helix Fossil and it was, like, this god that, like, helped us through our journey and we created the Church of Helix he's, and hymns and songs were written. He's not kidding. He has shown me the hymns. They exist. I... <laughs> Not remotely. People created a Helix Bible <laughs> that was published. Not joking whatsoever. Internet um, is simultaneously the, the best and worst place ever created. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, there are certain things like, um, for example, February 23rd, which happened to be on a Sunday. Um, the players of Twitch plays Pokemon inadvertently released a bunch of the Pokemon that were captured in the box that ended up like, you know, basically deleting them from the game. And so that became bloody Sunday. And now it's like in the Twitch plays Pokemon lore, you know, and they all have like crazy names that people voted on. Um, You know, it's just it's it's just a great moment in Internet history that um, that I just love. And it was completely defined by voting with over a million participants. (laughs) Over one point one six million people at a single time all desperately trying to inch their way along this classic Game Boy JRPG in the most anarchic of ways. It, it's, I got nothing. I really don't. I can't believe that exists. It is a bonkers social experiment. And of course, of course, it's centered around a Nintendo game. It had to be. The initial playthrough of, uh, of Pokemon Red took 16 days, 9 hours, 55 minutes, and 4 seconds. So, very, very long playthrough yes. of uh, Pokemon Red. <laughs> God, I wonder, 
I, I'm sure there couldn't have been people who were there for the entirety of the playthrough. Mm, I don't know, man. The internet is a strange place. Yeah, it is a strange <laughs> place. And speaking of, if you, if you wonderful listeners out there, if you are somehow aware of anything stranger than that, any instance of voting, even more bizarre than that when it comes to Nintendo games, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter, at All In Podcast. Join the conversation over on Discord. If, if you can give us something even weirder, I would definitely love to hear about it. You know, join the conversation over our Discord. But, you know, it's all connected, Seth. We got a chance to talk about a Splatfest, another brand new Splatfest for this weekend. And we got a chance to talk about our girl, the Umbral Witch, who was just reintroduced to the world after a half decade long hiatus. Bayonetta 3 came out last week we've basically only had smash brothers to sustain us for years now but she has finally returned in all of her m-rated glory and both seth and i have uh very stylishly fought through the entire adventure we have rolled credits we have seen almost everything the game has to offer and we are now here to tell you all of our thoughts and i promise you this is going to be an interesting one here are all of our thoughts on Platinum Games' new Bayonetta 3. So Bayonetta 3, Eric, we're here. Um, we've yes. played it. There's been, you know, years of waiting, a lot of controversy that we've talked about ad nauseum over the past few weeks leading up to release, but now it's here. We've both played it. We've both seen the credits. We've seen the story of Bayonetta 3, but has it been worth the wait, my friend? We are going to talk about it. We are going to find that out. But if this is your first time joining us for an all-in review discussion, here's how it works. We uh, type, like to structure... Our reviews. Uh, we like to break them down in parts like story, then we're going to talk about presentation, then we're going to talk about music, and then we're going to talk about the most important part of any game, the gameplay. And um, we're going to do all of that without giving a numbered score. Hashtag sorry, Metacritic, as always. <laughs> um, Metacritic does not get all-in review scores because we think that review scores um, are kind of... It, it's, it's antithetical to what we like to do here on the show. We're just going to give you our... Uh, 100% honest thoughts about the game, talk about it, and let you make your decisions from there and open up the window of discussion to continue talking about the game after the episode goes live. So, Yeah, and uh, you know, it's interesting. While review scores certainly make things nice to be able to boil down into a really digestible you know, format, I do see more and more people kind of coming over to our side. Like, yeah. just review scores just seem so outdated given how why the breadth of the experience of a uh, of a video game is yeah. so that's why we don't do it exactly we you know video games are more meaningful a, a simple 7 out of 10 might not encapsulate very well um our feelings about something as complicated as bayonetta 3 so um let's let's start <laughs> And this is a funny uh, game to start with the uh, the segment we typically start at with our reviews, the narrative of Bayonetta 3, yes. which is kind of a hot mess and it's going to be kind of hard to talk about. <laughs> yes, it is. So we have some fairly extreme thoughts, both good and bad, 
about the game. But yes, the story of Bayonetta 3. The story of Bayonetta 3 starts off with uh, uh, Bayonetta circa Bayonetta 1 uh, in a fight against an unknown assailant. And all of a sudden, this young character, Viola, shows up. And it turns out that what's going on is this is a Bayonetta from a different universe. We have a multiverse story, Seth. But (laughs) what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) exactly so of course of course because you know this is the beginning of the game bad things do happen and viola winds up in the universe of the core game and winds up finding john bayonetta and rodan uh saying hey there are some bad guys they are not from paradiso or Inferno, a.k.a. Bayonetta's version of Heaven and Hell. These are man-made bioweapons created to destroy the multiverse. And we have to stop them. And that is the last time that I think Viola has any credit as a character for me personally. Because <laughs> Viola is, is, is the worst. Viola is just... The worst. She. We're starting here, huh? We're starting with she... Viola. Okay. Well, the <laughs> the game starts with Viola, so yeah, that's fair. I've got to. The the she she overacts and prolapses herself into hyperactivity. She's oh my god! That you, you. She's a playable character sometimes, and she's just she's just the worst. I I really, but. But why, Seth? But why do they? They already have. You already have Enzo, who's in the game. Enzo, yeah. the 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 really slimy, fat, you know, guy who's and Enzo is specifically in the game to be the worst. And then they still put a character like Viola in there. This really try hard, super wannabe, edgy. But like, they actually give Viola a legit Benny Hill type segment in the game. I I like Viola as a character. My problem with Viola is her gameplay, which we'll talk about later, because um, you do spend a significant amount of time in this game playing as Viola. But I actually, as a character, because here's the thing that that we need to just understand about Bayonetta is this franchise has never taken itself seriously. Um, no. And this game and this game's plot more than anything is like, hey, if you ever even thought about taking Bayonetta seriously, you need to just kind of stop because there's <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> like like just just kind of stop thinking about it because this game has the most absurd story and viola kind of being at the heart of it in many ways um i think having this kind of she's just a goofball and one thing that i like about viola is that she has a good heart like she's she's a dork and she's goofy and she's slapstick and yeah she does have basically a Benny Hill moment where she like catches fire and then has to run to the water. Like she's Mario and Mario 64. She's basically yeah. just whoa, 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 whoa. Like it's, it's like that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally like that. Um, so she is, she's goofy and she's kind of like comic relief, but at the same time, she's like this edge Lord, you know, leather clad punk rock. My name's Viola and don't you forget it. But she's just kind of like, I don't know. Like I couldn't help but like her because she just, she, that's not the type of character that annoys me. It would have annoyed me if she was edgelord the entire time and she was just, you know, Shadow the Hedgehog or something. That would have annoyed me. But because she was a fun-loving dork, like, she's she's Travis Touchdown, really, is what she is. She's just... I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. But, 
but the it, it lands for me with Travis. But it just for me, Viola just did not land at all as a character to the point where every time I knew I was going to play as her by the end of the game, I just rolled my eyes. But uh, that is not the only, let's so we say, divisive part of this game's story. And like Seth said, if you're going to take this game seriously, just don't. Just don't. Because we're not going to spoil anything that happens. But specifically in the final act of the game, in the last third of the game, there are some stuff happens. Some stuff happens. And ironically enough, there are multiple twists, multiple things that happen within the last third of the game. One that really, really annoyed me, but Seth, it didn't really annoy too much. And then there was one that really, really made Seth mad that I actually didn't find that bad. So if you've been following this game for a long time, chances are there is some story stuff in the last third of the game that you're going to find really annoying. That's pretty much the most we can say without spoiling it. Just that right there. There, you know, for for me, this this game's story fails on a lot of levels. Not only because of the the multiverse sort of setup of it is it's just a mess. And again, like I can't really. Yeah. It's hard to talk about without spoiling things. But there are certain elements here where you work in this multiverse, and there are certain reveals and stuff that kind of invalidate the previous two games. And maybe that's my bad for like caring about the first two games, but <laughs> I don't, you know, but, but like, it's kind of frustrating when I am invested in this game and I am invested in this franchise and the character of Bayonetta. And this game kind of does a lot to, in its story to unravel that, like to be like, Hey, no, like, let's not take it seriously. It's just like dumb. And you know, it's multiverse and like, who cares? Let's play it fast and loose. I'm like, but hang on. But I, I actually, I cared about this. You can't just like throw all of this away out of nowhere. It would be like if we came into Spider-Man No Way Home. Like Spider-Man No Way Home is the correct way of handling this kind of multiverse story. And Bayonetta, it's like, hey, everything that you've loved, we're not building on it. We're actually just tearing it apart. And like that kind of sucks. Like it's a step back actually um, in terms of the the actual story of Bayonetta and the work that they did with Bayonetta as a character. Um, and that kind of really bothered me. Um, with that being said though, <laughs> like it was hard for me to stay mad at this game's story for too long when it was just for like 90% of it, so much fun. Like yeah. they just have, they, they, with this, this multiversal thing and like it's been revealed in trailers. So it's not a spoiler to say you're going to multiverses, you're interacting with other Bayonettas and like these alternate Bayonettas are just so goofy and like fun and over the top. And it was always a treat to see how much fun they had with these different timelines. And it, it was so dorky. It's like the Batman incorporated of Bayonetta. You know, if you've ever read the Batman incorporated comic book series, <laughs> but the weird thing is it, it almost feels like they used Bayonetta three as a way to deconstruct or make fun of other multiversal stories. Like right. there are a couple direct digs at the Marvel cinematic universe throughout mm -hmm. the course of the story. If you're going to just, you know, make fun of other multiversal stories. Okay. Whatever. But they did really do it to the detriment of the overall lore and canon of this series, which does stink because at the end of the day, regardless of how much fun I had, 
by the end of the game, because of what happens, I genuinely don't want to play Bayonetta 4 the way they're setting it up. <laughs> so that's 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 really the most that I can say without without tipping the cap too too much. Just as much fun, pure fun as the gameplay winds up being because of what happens, because of what the game sets up, my initial gut reaction is like, you know what? Had fun, but yeah, I'm really, really not excited for Bayonetta 4 at this point. What What's funny is like the, the story of this game is something that if you are the type of person who just comes into Bayonetta and you turn your brain off and you just have fun, I think Bayonetta 3 is probably going to be your favorite entry in the series. Because, because it is really fun. Like just the, the locales and the things you, you see and do and like the band, the alternate Bayonetta's like that stuff is so, so, so fun. And I couldn't believe the things that were happening constantly, which is my favorite feeling in video games. And it's something that's so rare. You know, I compare this game a lot to No More Heroes 3 in that way, where it's just like I was constantly being surprised and delighted by the things that were happening. But the way it all resolves and the basic setup just did not land with me whatsoever, unfortunately. It was fun as a setup to allow us to interact with other forms of Bayonetta and to allow the character designers to really go nuts with Bayo in this game. And it really feels like that was the entire purpose, is let's try to cobble together this Frankenstein's monster of a multiverse story just so we can have multiple versions of Bayonetta in this game. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, it is, it's a bummer. The The story bums me out, but that, to be honest with you, that's where the, the lion's share of my complaints with this game come from. Um, so maybe moving into the presentation though, this is probably where the rest of my complaints kind of come in. It doesn't look good. <laughs> I'm just going to come out in front street and just say it. The game doesn't look good. And there, and you know, it's the kind of situation where the more I played it, the less it bothered me. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of like a Pokemon Legends Arceus sort of thing, where like when I first started playing Pokemon Legends Arceus, I was like, why doesn't this look better? This looks awful. But then after hour like 10 or something, it sort of faded away. Exact same situation for me in Bayonetta 3. When I first started it, I, I audibly, I was like, woof. Like, this yeah. does not look very good. But it it sort of faded away for me by the end of it. Uh, yeah, there are a couple moments, especially toward the beginning where like you really start to see the rough edges mm -hmm. of the game and the character models, but ultimately the game has so much style Yeah, that there's a lot of things this game does with its presentation that for me ultimately overshadow the lack of pixel power, the lack of polygon power, the lack of technical prowess that Bayonetta 3 is pushing on the Nintendo Switch. There's a lot of little touches here with the presentation that I really like. The stages themselves are nice and big, which they kind of have to be in regards to some of the things they let you do with the gameplay. A lot of the backgrounds look nice and big and epic and bombastic. And even small touches like the stage, the stage select screen is one of That's my great. favorite things about the game. Mm-hmm. Just that, because you wind up, it's ba it's basically Viola's room mm -hmm. at 
the Gates of Hell, which of course, you know, Rodan's Gates of Hell bar is once again your base of operations for this adventure. And Viola has her own room, which not only can you <laughs> which not only can you buy new accessories and stuff for, but the entire uh, stage select screen is a big dartboard. You've got this massive map on the wall and you choose it by Bayonetta throwing darts at a board at the stage that you want to go to on the stage select screen. And it's, it's a really great touch. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Uh, in addition to the fact that there are other things that get added to the background to Viola's room. Like there's a cork board that uh, gets added with some pictures of Viola and I just like to throw the darts at the pictures of Viola on the corkboard sometimes. <laughs> that's funny. And the, it, it is a and nice stick. And they'll <laughs> stick. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It it is a nice kind of um, it, it it's a nice kind of like representation of how like road trippy the entire thing feels. Like it kind of feels yeah. like a like a road trip game. Like you're just going to so many different universes and locales. Like again, just turn your brain off and have fun. I to touch back on something you mentioned there. I really love like the different settings that you go to in these different universes and how big these levels are now. Like yeah. th this is the most, I, in terms of like scale, this is the biggest Bayonetta has ever felt. There were in Bayonetta two, you know, Bayonetta one is a fairly linear game with small kind of stages. Bayonetta two had a couple of big stages and there was quiet time and stuff like that. Bayonetta three, practically every chapter has got a massive, almost quasi not open world but it's got like these kind of mini like hubs that you yeah. can really kind of explore and they're really well realized in this game and i will say too that i think a big part of why i kind of softened on the presentation um as the game went on is because that first sort of handful of chapters where you're just in like it's the same stuff we've seen in every trailer leading up to the game's release like the destroyed like tokyo once you yeah. kind of get out of those and you get into the more interesting chapters, I think just the the art direction just comes through so much more. And I think that did a lot of heavy lifting for what ultimately, I mean, Bayonetta really has seen no huge amount of progression graphically since the first one. So No. no. Although it is, I, I do think this is my favorite design of Bayonetta. Oh, like her core design. Yeah, yeah, I, I would I, agree. I really like the 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 giant pigtails that she's rocking in this game. I'm I'm a big fan of those. But again, there's just so many other little touches throughout the course. The way the in-game gallery is set up and the different collectibles that you can get for the gallery. And but you want to talk about style? Oh, doggy! Jean gets a little bit of time to shine in this game, and. The presentation for her little adventure, yeah, is amazing. We're talking like, like cowboy bebop levels of excess and style here. I love that. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, the the setup for that is is awesome. Um, and even then, like that feels a little bit more like true to what they're doing. Like they they kind of understood the assignment with that. And I I think that like some people from the outside looking in, if they're not like already Bayonetta fans they'll look at this and be like, what's everybody getting so worked up about? This looks like a PS3 game. But mm. like for people who, when, once you get into it, I, I think you can just kind of let yourself get lost in it. And I do think the character designs are are all good. And especially like some of the awesome, like infernal demon summons you get. Oh God, the like, infernal demons look amazing. Yeah. Good Lord. They look so cool in this game. 
Yeah. And I'll say too that despite all of this, I think a reason why they don't push the graphics a little bit further is so that the game can run really smoothly. And it does, which is nice. Like the game never really, I never had any frame rate problems, no buckling or anything like that. Like it ran perfectly. Yeah, there's a lot of games on the Nintendo Switch, a lot of really powerful games on the Nintendo Switch that sometimes you have this, you know, this, this effect of a couple assets or enemies or characters in the distance that start to run at like five frames a second. Mm-hmm. But that never really happens in in this game. I never really noticed any of that that uh, slow down in the distance. Uh, these are some fairly big stages with some really cool backdrops and everything, but I didn't really notice any technical issues. The game never crashed on me. I didn't notice any real tangible frame drops throughout the entirety of the game, of which it'll take you longer than you expect. But uh, yeah, I mean, the game runs great. I have nothing to say from it in that regard. Yeah. I think another thing as it relates to presentation, there is a little bit of an elephant in the room and that is the voice acting. Um, of course. We don't want to get into the drama and stuff again, but just to 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 answer the sort of question, because as I'm sure you all know at this point, it is not the same voice actress that plays Bayonetta. It is now Jennifer Hale taking up the role yep. of Bayonetta. And I thought she did a beautiful job. I thought she did fantastic. Yeah, all the props in the world to Jennifer Hale. I don't think if we if Bayonetta had had if if Bayonetta three hadn't gone through all of this ridiculous controversy leading up to the release, I don't think a lot of casual fans would have even noticed. Jennifer Hale does a great job picking up the torch that uh, Helena Taylor stumbled and dropped. But uh, yeah, it's a fantastic performance. The the performances, with a couple notable exceptions, I think are really good all the way around because the game is all about excess. It's all about being over the top. And there's a lot of characters that just really embrace that. Jean, once again, is an absolute delight. Rodan is, of course, one of my favorite just BA characters in video games regardless. Oh, yeah. Dave Fenoy's Rodan is like one of my favorite. You can just that's such a unique voice. Like you can pick that out of a lineup, man. It's so good. And I'm sure yeah. I know how you feel about Viola. Uh, yeah. But but I but I actually really like the performance of Viola. Mm-hmm. Um Anna Brisbane is the is the actress and she's also very sweet. Like I I see her on Twitter all the time just like is so honored to be a part of the franchise and stuff and she's so like endearing and I I like it's a very earnest performance. It's a very like just sort of goofball over the top anime performance, you know. I will say it was a bold attempt. <laughs> You just say Viola. That's all it is. She just does not land. Once you get more than 10 seconds, like the character just does not land for me whatsoever. Her character design is actually pretty cool. And there are a couple redeeming aspects to her character. A couple very redeeming aspects to her presentation. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, I think this is a great time to get into the music of Bayonetta 3 because Viola's battle theme is actually rad as heck. Yeah, it is really good. Yeah, there it's but again that even that even her battle theme and and it is it's quite good. Um it, it is totally like 
2002. It's like that that thing we did the side quest on the uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's like 182 and all that stuff. Yeah, it's that total emo kind of like thing. That that's the you can't take her seriously. This is the kind of character. She's a 14 year old from 2002 plucked out of the you know of that era and brought today. That's that's what Viola is, you know, and her her theme music totally leans into that. But there is a lot of really good. I mean, Bayonetta has has always had a really good theme and of course that theme returns but there is some really good new stuff here as well a lot of the a lot of the kind of ambient themes for the the different locales and the different biomes that you'll go to i felt were kind of unremarkable but a lot of the action themes a lot of the battle themes a lot of the cutscene music is just absolutely stellar yeah I, I agree with that 100%. Um, I, yeah, I felt like, you know, and they're, the, the ambient stuff is good. Like, it's fine. But the stuff that really stands out is, yeah, like, when it needs to hit, there are a couple of moments. Like, there's, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a great moment with Bayonetta um, towards the end where <laughs> it's the one where she drops the F-bomb. Um, yeah. <laughs> which was really weird and kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and that, that's earned. When yeah, <laughs> Viola says it quite a few times throughout the course of the game, and it's not earned in my well, opinion. Well, yeah, she again, she's angsty teen. Don't tell me angsty what to do, teen, Dad. Lord. You know, yeah, yeah that's who that's who Bay- she is. Bayonetta drops one toward the end of the game, and it is one thousand percent earned within the context of what's going on. But it, but it's accentuated by that music. The the music that plays in these kind of big moments is nice. And again, Bayonetta is all about this excess. And there's all this like glitz and glamour and like J-pop influences and jazz influences, big brassy songs. Like the, the, it is one thousand percent in line with what we're used to. Bayonetta always has great music, and I also love yeah. how Bayonetta always kind of works in kind of like these more classical pieces as well. Uh, which is great. And I love that you can collect the records in the stages and, you know, yep. listen to music in the gallery. So yeah, it's great. It's really good. I mean, <laughs> you're talking about a character who almost everything she does uh, remove from the core gameplay. She does through uh, interpretive dance, basically this music video style choreographed dance number that she does in order to in order to summon infernal demons in order to basically do anything that she needs to do in any of the game's more epic moments. So yeah, there's, there's just a lot of dancing going on and a lot of music to accompany it. And, and I don't want to spoil absolutely anything, but I will say that one of my favorite moments in the entire game, a, a moment that just left my jaw absolutely on the floor <laughs> involves music, particular in, in particular involves opera music. So I think you know what I'm talking about when I say that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, that is that's like a, that's a moment. <laughs> that is one of my probably top 5 gaming moments of the year. Like it's just it's so good and the music is so good in that moment and the, again, this game just left my jaw on the floor like multiple times I just couldn't believe what was happening. Oh man. And the moment that kind of leads up to that with like the whole number and everything just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> it's excellent, man. I love it. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Uh, the, the presentation and the soundtrack of Bayonetta, there's, there's, it's definitely got some rough edges to it, but overall it's, it, it winds up being an absolute delight. So thank you for all of that platinum. That was, that, that was quite enjoyable throughout. There's so many really interesting, memorable moments, but many of those, 
are punctuated by the game's gameplay. So let's talk about the actual gameplay of Bayonetta 3, Seth. And I guess we should talk about the genre of the game, which I think after seeing the credits, you and I can both agree the genre is yes. <laughs> yeah, they, they they play fast and loose with it, which is which I personally love. Like, again, this game reminds me of No More Heroes a lot in that way too where like you never know i mean the core of the game is i guess the, it's called the character action genre the sort of devil may cry yeah. you know ninja gaiden reboot series like that sort of thing um you know so so definitely the core of it is still that but yes this game plays it fast and loose with genre and there will be um there will be multiple times throughout the course of the game where all of a sudden you're playing a very different game so be yes. prepared for that Every chapter, I'm I'm pretty sure every chapter of the game breaks genre at least once. Yeah. There are a there are a myriad of really interesting, memorable things that happen in this game that throw you into a completely different control and gameplay setup. And most of them are really, really fun. And if you don't think it's fun, a lot of the time it won't last long enough to really bring down your opinion of the title. There are a couple that didn't quite land for me, but again, it only lasts for a couple moments. But most of them, I thought, are really, really fun ways to punctuate the moment that's happening on screen. And just the sheer amount of variety. And this is just when you're talking about, if you want to, as you like to say, Seth, critical path the game. Mm -hmm. If you want to completely ignore all the side stuff, completely ignore everything, but the actual required stuff you need to beat the game, even just doing that, the amount of variety found within Bayonetta 3 is stunning. Yeah. Yeah, but there, and and it is, and, and there's, you're never doing the same thing for long. You're in these big open areas and there's things in the story beats that are constantly, you know, throwing new gameplay at you. It's great. And it's super fun. It's never boring, never boring, no. not once. Um, but I, you know, it's funny too, because critical pathing the game is something you can do. And if you were to do that, you could probably get through the game in like 12 to 15 hours. Um, but even still, there is so much stuff in this game <laughs> off the Bruh. beaten path and like side Bruh. stuff and post game and collectibles. Like it is insane. I couldn't even ballpark how long it would take to do absolutely everything in this game. All right. So the main gameplay engine in Bayonetta three, like the previous games is the core platforming and combat that you come to expect from games of this ilk. We've already made the comparison to devil may cry. And that is of course a comparison that is a well-earned and B just going to be made regardless because of how similar the two uh, franchises are. But yeah, you have these big open stages that you're going to be exploring, you're going to be fighting in, you're going to be platforming in, you're going to be trying to get from point A to point B. Uh, but there's so, so much here. These stages are so much bigger. And one of the reasons they are so much bigger is one of the massive additions to the core uh, combat of the game. And that is the fact that for the most part, the infernal demons that Bayonetta has access to 
are basically whenever you want to bring them into the fight. They are a much more active part of Bayonetta's combat this time around. If you just want to say, you know what, I'm done dealing with these guys. If you just want to summon her iconic Gamora kaiju demon to show up and start fighting them, you can do that. The battle, uh, the the stages are big enough for that. It is... It is so incredibly satisfying to be able to, in the middle of a fight, just stop and summon these massive building-sized infernal demon kaijus. And the fact that they've been able to find a way to integrate them in a way that doesn't basically turn the game into easy mode, but still makes you feel so super powerful... It was just so incredibly satisfying the entire time to be able to play around with all the different Infernal Demons that she winds up having access to in this game. But of course, because they had to do that, they had to make these expansive battlefields. They had to make these stages really big and give the demons a little room to breathe. So because of that, the stages themselves are bigger than they ever have been. And because of that... They are packed with more stuff than ever before. The amount of stuff off the beaten path of these stages for each individual chapter could keep you busy for a couple hours per chapter easily. Not only do you have collectibles like concept art and 3D models, each stage has three umbral uh, animals that you can collect to unlock a specific side chapter for each individual normal chapter. In addition to that, there are crystal chests hidden all over the stages that require different little minigame-esque style uh, unlock mechanisms. There is an absolute metric umbral ton of stuff in these stages. And even that, just all the extra stuff there, a lot of the crystal chests and a lot of the extra little accoutrement, that adds a ton more variety to the game because a lot of the chests will put you into these different platforming challenges or these little mini races that you can go through. And then uh, there's just, it's, it's too much. It's arguably too much, Seth. Yeah, I mean, my playthrough of the game doing, you know, most of that stuff as it came, um, I mean, like, it took me like 25 hours to play through the game because there's just so much there. It wasn't uncommon for me to spend, you know, an hour and a half just in one chapter, you know, when normally you would get through it in 30, 45 minutes or something. Um, it wasn't uncommon at all for me to spend twice that, that much, just like pouring through these levels, chasing down all these stupid cats and, uh you know, dealing with that and there to say nothing of the little like side challenges that you can do. There are multiple of those in each chapter um, where you just kind of go into this other dimension and do these little kind of mini challenges that are very specific and well-designed. And I mean, there's just so much to do here, man. Like if you talk about bang for your buck, if that's something that if you're concerned that you're going to get this game and just blaze through it, fear not like this game is not short on content whatsoever um to go back to the infernal demons real quick i i think that they are such a brilliant new mechanic um because like in combat it's really cool the way they've balanced like you were saying the juxtaposition of making you feel powerful but also not making it a win button and that's because when you summon you can just summon them with the pull of the left trigger now like whereas before you would only summon you know your kind of like 
demon characters or whatever through specific moments in Bayonetta yeah, 1 and 2. very situational. Yeah. Now you can do it whenever you want, but Bayonetta is totally vulnerable when this happens. So Bayonetta has to focus on the summon, and she's sitting there and dancing and focusing on the summon, and so you're actually left completely vulnerable as Bayonetta. So you have to pay attention to enemies coming after Bayonetta while you're controlling this massive demon on the battlefield. It, it actually made me think, I was like, I wonder how much of Scalebound's DNA wound up in this game. You know, the, the canceled mm. Scalebound that Platinum was working on where you controlled a dragon companion. I was like, I wonder if a little bit of that made it into Bayonetta 3. That was kind of my, my thought process. Um, but they're all so much fun. They're they uh, great designs to them all. You end up getting what, like eight, eight to ten, probably something like that. You wind up, you get access to a lot of toys. If you've played the couple Bayonetta games that were out previous, you're probably fairly familiar with her Gamora summon, with her uh, Madam Butterfly uh, kaiju avatar. But because of this whole multiversal thing. That was another reason for them to really open up the possibilities of what Bayonetta could have access to in this game. And you get access to, yeah, like eight to ten different infernal demons throughout the course of the title. And you get access to that many core weapons. Obviously, she's got her iconic iconic pistols that make a return, this time with three barrels, because Bayonetta 3. Of course. Uh but you get access to so many interesting weapons and each weapon that she gets access to also has its own transformation that Bayonetta can, can turn into to further enhance both her movement and the combat. So you have, you know, a big handful of infernal demons, each with their own separate gameplay. You've got a big handful of weapons that you can play around with that all feel varied and different. There are some really interesting and unique things that you can do. And of course, because this is a character action game in 2022, there are a ton of skills and upgrades that you can use uh, these orbs that you get throughout the course of the combat. The better you do in combat, the more orbs you get and the more skills that you can learn with these attacks. And I will I will caution you because there are a lot of really interesting, really useful abilities that you can unlock throughout the course of this game. There is just so, so much. And some of it is really interesting, really useful, and they should really make a better point of highlighting some of it because... A lot of these abilities, you'll probably unlock eight or nine at a time, the way the game works out. You'll probably have enough orbs once you get a new uh, weapon to unlock a bunch of the skills right off the bat, so much so that you may not even realize a lot of the stuff that you're unlocking, a lot of the new attacks and new abilities that you're unlocking. But you get access to some really strong and powerful stuff, and I highly recommend uh, mixing it up experimenting with different weapons a lot of the combat challenges a lot of the off the beaten path combat challenges within bayonetta 3 will use specific weapons and they will force you to use specific weapons so i highly recommend trying out the different demons trying out the different weapons uh because even coming into the end of the game you're still getting new toys to play with 
Yeah, Even you, coming into the end of the game. You you get new weapons when you beat the game. Like the game, w- rolling credits really is just the beginning for, for a yeah. lot of people playing Bayonetta 3. And yeah, the, these weapons are so good. This might be one of my favorite sets of video game weapons, like just ever. Like, yeah. they're so universally good. Like those, those yo-yos, man... Dude, like, I'm a huge fan of Rygar, so I've really connected dude, to those yo-yos. Those yo-yos are those. incredible. Like, one of my favorite video game weapons in recent memory. It, they're just yeah. so good. And yeah, like, tying them to the Infernal Demons is, is like, genius. Like, the, for me, Bayonetta's gameplay is better than it's ever been. And they didn't try to reinvent the wheel or anything with her witch time and stuff like that. All of that still flows really well, but then throwing in those infernal demons as a way to kind of shake it up and empower, but also depower, it's just, it's absolutely brilliant and it's it's punctuated with these amazing weapons. But then you have Viola. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yes, you have Viola. For most of the game, you will have access to Bayonetta, the main character, who has access to a ton of different options. But for some parts of the game, for some entire chapters of the game, you are forced to play as this character. (laughs) He hates her so much. I do really, yeah, I do do really hate her. (laughs) And it's not just the fact that she is set on a single weapon. And if you don't really mesh with that weapon that she uses, you're just kind of, you're, you're just out of luck Mm -hmm. at that point. Uh, It also really changes things up in an incredibly annoying way because, you know, we we shouldn't even have to tell you that which time makes a return in this game because of course it does. It's arguably Bayonetta's most iconic ability, especially if you're a smash player. Um, but which time is triggered completely differently if you're playing as Viola. And it's so awkward to make that change. At least it was for me. And that was a big part of one of the reasons that annoyed me playing as Viola. Yeah. Oh, I dreaded playing as Viola. Not because I didn't like her as a character, because I hated playing as her. Her combat to me, because the thing about Witch Time that that is brilliant and has been from the first game, is Bayonetta triggers it with these kind of last second dodges that she can do, and it just adds to the feel and fluidity of the combat, which for me... The flow, exactly. Yeah, that, that flow state with Bayonetta's combat is peerless like absolutely peerless in the genre top tier there's nothing better than that in my opinion then you get to viola and the way that she yeah she only has her katana as a weapon you can't use any of these other amazing weapons that bayonetta has access to and the way that she triggers witch time is through parries very precise parries and i did test this even on the easiest difficulty her parry mechanic is still extraordinarily precise like yeah I, yeah. It never, ever clicked with me, and it slows down the pace of combat and totally ruins, not just like dampers, ruins that flow state. Viola has got no flow state with her combat. Like, it, I really dislike playing as her. Yeah, I did too. Uh, she has one big saving grace for me when it comes to her gameplay, and that is her Infernal Demon is actually really rad. Yeah, she, so she has Cheshire. And yeah. a, a big difference with Cheshire is is great. And people who have been following Bayonetta for a while know Cheshire. 
Um, and the way it works is quite different from Bayonetta's Infernal Summons, even though you summon Cheshire the same way, Viola can still fight while Cheshire is out. Cheshire is actually operating independently, and Viola puts her sword away and, and starts punching with her fists, which is great, and, and I do kind of like that. Um, and, and it, that I think works better and, and does feel different from Bayonetta, but yeah, it's not enough to save it for me. No, it's not. And because if it was just like a lot of the other variety laden set pieces that you get throughout Bayonetta 3, if it was just a couple minutes or a fight here or there, okay, whatever, that would be a good way to break up the pace, but you play as Viola for entire chapters. So there's not too, too many of them, but by the time I got, you know, deep into the game and I would see Viola appear on the loading screen, I would just like audibly sigh like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't like playing as her. That, that battle track really is the best part of playing as Viola. Um, now, so I will say when it comes to the gameplay outside of Viola, I do have two other fairly significant complaints. Mm. One is the fact that because of the size and scope of a lot of the stages, Bayonetta's movement is very grandiose to the point where some of the more precise challenges, uh, th this game is not made for precise movement, basically. So some of the more precise challenges can be really frustrating when you're trying to hunt down some of those animals, which can be really annoying because they run from you. Trying to hunt down some of those animals in tight corridors, trying to do some really precise, tight platforming. There are some movement options you get toward the end of the game that make this better, but I really didn't want to have to wait until the end of the game to have satisfying movement capabilities. Uh, so some of the precise stuff in the game annoyed me a little bit, but there was one big thing about Witch Time that annoyed me, and that was... I guess you're right, Seth. I guess it has to do with how close. Uh, I guess it has to do with the timing of when you trigger it. Right. Because when it comes to witch time, sometimes you'll get like the full witch time uh, clock. You'll get, you know, a good five, six seconds to just wail on your opponents. And then sometimes it'll just immediately drop for apparently no reason and you want to talk about messing up the flow of combat that'll mess up the flow of combat because getting hit not only not only messes up your ranking not only messes up your combo meter but it it also just completely destroys the flow of combat in general and it was i couldn't figure out why exactly this was happening. I couldn't figure out why sometimes I would dodge attacks and then my witch time would just immediately drop and I would be vulnerable again when I thought I was going to have five or six seconds to wail on my opponents. So that was admittedly also really frustrating throughout the game. But, yeah, it's uh, it's always been like that. It's um and and Bayonetta like the and I'm pretty I'm almost positive that that's what determines that is how how close the sort of last second dodge is. If you're able to dodge right before that attack hits, you'll get the sort of full witch time and then it'll diminish, you know, depending on how early you dodge from there. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. It's never, for me, it's never bothered me. It's always felt good for me personally, but I can I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, like if I'm, if I witch time dodge and I'm trying to, if I'm trying to continue to to beat up my opponent to try to get that pure platinum medal, because of course, if you followed the Bayonetta series, you know that for each combat 
encounter in the game, you get graded on how well you perform. That's another thing that you can go back and probably spend 200 hours going and grinding out as pure platinum medals for everything mm-hmm. in the game. Good luck and God bless you if you choose to do that. But, uh, you know, if, if you're trying to do that, if, if I get witch time and then it immediately drops and I'm vulnerable and I get hit, I'm like, well, forget me. I do just wish, and I don't think this would be a hard fix. I do just wish there was a much more obvious way to tell people like a different trigger. Like if there was like a different something visually or auditory uh, to denote that this one was just a short dodge as opposed to the full dodge. Mm. I, I think it'd be a really easy fix. Just some extra little flair. Maybe the maybe color the, is different or something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They've got they've got different color parries in Street Fighter. They've got different kinds of things in in other games. So. I think if you just added just a little extra flair or some different flair to the dodges to let people know if this was just a short versus a long witch time activation. I can see that. that, I think that would help immensely with the flow of the game. I can see that. And and I do wonder too, how much of that, like you're, you're a fighting game guy. So like you're those little split second things, you know, matter a lot to, to you and the way that you play games. So I can, I can definitely, like, like I said, it didn't bother me personally. So we're coming at this with two different perspectives, but like, I can, I can see where you're coming from. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But that ultimately didn't really diminish my enjoyment of the game. There's just so much pure all caps fun to be had here i loved experimenting with all the bog it's not just the fact that there's different weapons it's the fact that the weapons themselves are just like what is bayonetta even controlling right now i i would love to see people's like i would love to see reaction videos of people getting these weapons for the first time just like what even is this that i'm looking at right now because it's so great it's insane, dude. Like it's, it's, it's so crazy. 100% of the time. Like that's the thing. The game is just fun. And like we, we mentioned, um, we mentioned Jean's missions earlier. Jean has these kind of little side, like these, it's kind of like Mark of the Ninja meets Metal Gear Solid little side missions. That's that's a great way to put it, actually. <laughs> it's like stealth missions, but it's also kind of like fun and action-y. They're, I, I think those are just so great, like so well yeah. done. I'll tell you what it reminded me of, and this might be a deep cut for some people, but do you remember that old PSN Xbox Live Arcade game Shadow Complex? Yeah, it does have Shadow Complex vibes, yeah. Yeah, so Jean, in a, in a genius way of even further breaking up the action and adding even more variety to the game Jean's missions you get after every three or four missions in Bayonetta uh, you get access to this wonderful little stealth action uh, 2D Metroidvania style uh, gameplay with Jean that is is so fun you can do stealth kills she can collect she can collect powerful weapons like bazookas and bows and arrows and stuff to use against her opponent she can transfer form into cutie j oh my (laughs) lord it's it's so ridiculous and so fun they don't last too long they're not nearly as long as the core bayonetta chapters but again a really really interesting really fun way to add to add even more variety to this exceptional package and the way once you beat the game once you finish all of john's missions the the extra mode that it opens up 
in the game after that is just chef's kiss. I love it so much. Uh, I'd, I'd play an entire game of that. I really I would. I would, too. I would yeah. absolutely play an entire game of that. That was so much fun. Yeah. Oh, it was so great. Super fun. Yeah, I, I loved it. And um, there's there's also there's another mode, a, a kind of more combat trial-based mode that unlocks post-game as well. Um, there's, there's quite a bit that unlocks post game yeah. and, um, there, there a is a lot of secret stuff and yeah, totally a ton of secret stuff. I will issue a couple of PSAs. So for, for folks who like to go back and clean up like, uh, collectibles and stuff, you can go back into stages and, and get those collectibles and pop out. You don't have to complete the stages. And we also want to give a PSA regarding the new naive angel mode in the game. Yes. Yes. So uh, to make the game more kid accessible, to make it so that there's at least a T-rated way to play the game, they've added what they call Naive Angel Mode, which is supposed to tone down a lot of the visual adultness in the game. Keyword there being visual. Because I saw a report, both Seth and I played it in the normal, I guess, in the non-Naive Angel Mode, which I guess would be the, the Jaded Angel Mode. <laughs> That's yeah, that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) So Seth and I both played it that way, but I did see a report that said a lot of the language, because like we said, they do drop some F-bombs specifically. uh, I wanted to make sure the language was toned down for Naive Angel Mode. That's actually not the case right now, despite being a mode specifically put in there to make it more T-rated accessible. It doesn't tone down the language at all. Yeah, that is weird. Like when you turn it on, it does a couple of things like in, in cut scenes, they've gone in and they've sort of covered up Bayonetta in moments where she's not. Cause if you don't know the whole thing about Bayonetta is when she attacks, she attacks with her hair. And when she does the summons, her, her like clothes are also her hair. So she's like 90% naked when she's doing a lot of these attacks. So for obvious reasons, it's not a very kid friendly game. Um, no. And then it also goes in, they did, and what's weird is they did do some thoughtful things. Like there are some moments where Bayonetta uh, does these kind of like Sailor Moon magical girl transformations. And in naive angel mode, they sort of just like up the contrast and she just like really is like shiny and you can't make out any of those details. There's even like weird junk, like Rodan's cigar gets replaced by a little candy thing, yeah, which is great. So it's a weird oversight that they didn't even censor the language, which seems like that would have been the easiest thing to do. So I have to imagine it was just an oversight, and I have to imagine it's going to get patched, but just PSA, if you are planning on playing the game around your kids in Naive Angel mode, maybe don't. Like, maybe just be aware that the language is still going to be uncensored. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's Bayonetta. Hopefully, by the third game, you kind of know what you're getting into regardless. This has always been a very sex-positive, very sexually charged mm-hmm. character. Uh, and that is still on full display here. But if you're getting Bayonetta 3 just for some pure, stupid action fun, they have got that in spades. There is so, so much to do. So many fights to get into. So many tools and accessories and items that you can use in regards to the fights. So many off the beaten path. Little challenges that you can get into. Races and platforming and all kinds of different genre bending set pieces. If you want to go back and collect everything. If you are a completionist, 
maybe don't get this game because this game is really a completionist nightmare in addition to trying to get pure platinum medals for every uh interaction for every verse they call them in the in the chapters in addition to that there are so many different things to collect in addition to that each chapter has has five chapter specific achievements that you can get there is a ridiculous amount of content in this game in addition to secret chapters and you know off the beaten path challenges and all kinds of stuff if that's what you're looking for then this is a really really satisfying package although if you are a core bayonetta fan I would possibly consider just skipping through all the cutscenes. Yeah, it's it's weird, man. I it um, is really weird. Yeah, I I feel so I feel mixed about this game in a way that not only was I not expecting, but in a way that I've never felt about Bayonetta. I think in many ways, uh, primarily the gameplay, like Bayonetta's core gameplay, better than it's ever been. When you're playing as Bayonetta, it is it is just primo, top of its class. So much fun. Like, again, the things that I love about video games, just like showing me things, letting me see and do things that I've never seen or done before. This game has that in spades. But at the same time, I have massive misgivings with the story, the way it's handled, certain things with the gameplay, like Viola's gameplay, that really kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. And again, I come away from it feeling more mixed than than anything. Um, so it, what it does right, it does really, really right. And then when it does wrong, it does really, really wrong. Yeah. So, you know, take all of that for what it's worth. If this was a game you were just hoping nailed the action, then we have some very good news for you, my friend. But if, especially after all the drama, you were hoping for a really satisfying conclusion for Bayonetta, narratively speaking, I I, I don't know what to tell you, unfortunately. However... That doesn't mean we don't recommend the game. Far from it. Uh, that's It's a really, really special package. Again, a ton of variety. A lot of fun to be had. But at the same time, if, you, if, if you're really invested in the story, then mm, it's, it's, it is hard to recommend from that aspect, admittedly. But if you do wind up picking it up, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast, on Twitter at All In Podcast. Let us know if you are picking it up, if you are playing it, and if you are, what your thoughts on Bayo's latest adventure are. We would love to hear your perspectives because this game is getting some really interesting polarizing responses. Even internally from us, it got some very interesting polarizing mm-hmm responses so we'd love to hear your take on it as well in addition to that make sure to check us out on youtube at youtube.com slash all in podcast where every friday night at 8 p.m eastern we run down this week in nintendo news i hope you were able to join us last night if you're listening to this episode the day it goes live you're listening to the podcast the day it goes live last night was a really really fun interesting dissection of so much interesting nintendo news when it comes to the indie world showcase to everything going on but but if for whatever reason you can't join us Friday nights at youtube.com slash all in podcast, we still have the podcast, which you are clearly aware of because you're listening to it right now. But if this is your first episode, what you should do is you should like, follow and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to it on. We would very, very much appreciate that. And once you do that, check out all the other content that we are creating on an almost daily basis for all of you amazing legends out there. Because once you see everything we have to offer here at All In, 
we're fairly convinced that you would be persuaded to become a patron. I hope so. That sure would be nice if you headed over to patreon.com slash allinpodcast, throw a little tip in the old tip jar, throw a couple bones our way mm-hmm. for our hard work. We would super appreciate that. There are three mm-hmm. tiers over there, exclusive content, shout outs on the show, stuff going on on Discord. There is so much going on, early access, credits, all sorts of things going on on the Patreon. So definitely head over there, check it out, see which tier works for you. But Eric... If they don't have any bones to throw our way, did you know there's a way they can support us entirely for free? By flying us to the moon? Hey, you can. You can fly us to the moon. We did just talk about Bayonetta. (laughs) No, they can drop some words. Over on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser, and on Audible, you can leave us five-star written reviews that will be shouted out here on the show if you do to show our appreciation. And on Spotify, you can leave us an anonymous five-star rating, and we super appreciate that. Very quick and easy to do if you like what you're hearing and you want to get this show in front of more people. That is really the best way to do that. We appreciate it so, so much. Indeed, we do appreciate it. We appreciate all of you so, so much. You are all, if you hang out with us, that means you are one of the cool kids, clear and official. We will send you your card in the mail later on this afternoon. You are officially one of the cool kids, you absolute legends. Uh, But honestly, all joking aside, if you hang out with us every week, if you're a patron, however you choose to support us, if you just drop some words, whatever you do, to help us out in our journey through to to all podcast supremacy. <laughs> Thank you guys so, so much for helping us out along our journey. Namaste. Namaste, man. Another one. This is a huge week, dude. Indie yeah. World happened. Huge week of news. Indie yes. Showcase from yes. a game that was yes. shadow dropped. Y- yes, yes. <laughs> I'm aware it was a huge week, Seth. So big, in fact, that we weren't able to properly celebrate my boy and my favorite game of all time. It breaks my I just, heart, I just, too. It breaks my heart, too. I just want to bring it back. Just remind you that today, the day this episode goes live, was the 15th anniversary of Super Mario Galaxy, and we couldn't even dedicate a segment to my boy because way too much stuff was going. Actually, you know what though? Hmm. You know, you got the 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 15th anniversary of the European releases next week. I mean, I, I know it's not the same, but maybe we could do something. Ooh, that's ooh, that's right. We can do it. Eric. A- Eric, I I hate to break your heart, man. Look, I love that game too, and I would love to do a segment on it. Yes, but like. We have Poke- next week. I, we got Pokemon coming next week. We have oh. all kinds of stuff happening. We ha- we're working on a Sonic Frontiers review. Oh, there's there's so much stuff going on. It's just ugh, it just couldn't happen at a worse time. We will celebrate Super Mario Galaxy, but it may have to wait for another anniversary, man. Oh, this is. This is one of the reasons I hate the holiday season. There's so many games coming out. And there's so many anniversaries. There's just way too much on our plate. I know. Ugh. All right. Well, guys, you know, I, I hope you I hope you stay with us on our journey to the 20th anniversary of Mario Galaxy. Here there you go. Five years. We'll but, do it uh, then. We'll do it then. We'll make it work. <laughs> we'll make it work. Ah, <laughs> uh, so so much to do, but I mean, we do it for you guys. We love you guys. We have so much on our plates right now. We're going to give you all the best, most amazing Nintendo themed content that we possibly can, regardless of what it is. Thank you for coming on this journey with us. Uh, stick around. Hopefully, we'll do a retrospective soon. I know we've got a couple more reviews 
uh, coming up in the near, very near future, coming down the pipeline. So much, so much, so much working this holiday season from All In, a Nintendo podcast. And we can't wait for you to hear absolutely every second of it. Until then, until then, everybody, I have been Azure Striker, Eric. And I have been Tales of Sethphonia. We love you all very much. We'll see you back here next week. Bye! Bye! Play Mario Galaxy for 15th anniversary this weekend!